Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. A lot of grass to Klubnik's left. Here he goes. Wide side. Klubnik trying to break away. He cannot. It's Corey Flagg and Miami wins. 365 Sports is presented by IdealMRI.com. High-quality MRIs for $497 or less. IdealMRI.com. Your health is important. So is your budget. It is good! The Utah Utes sink USC once more! And another classic! 365 Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance. Protecting Texans since 1952. Houston. Smith from the shotgun. Has the snap. Rolls to the right. Looks. Throws on the run. It is incomplete. Broken up by Jade Barron. It was intended for Stephon Johnson, the hero of the Hail Mary. And Jade Barron comes up. Hero for Texas. Have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? Search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. Spawn from the one, whose coverage has been strong so far tonight, but he breaks free. Deuce Spawn in a foot race. He'll never catch him. And the all special teams strike back quickly. 365 Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. May just barely got it away, and the ball is caught. Intercepted James Jackson for Virginia at the 42. Now here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. And here we go on a Wednesday, uh, the middle of the week as we head towards the weekend, the last weekend of college football in the month of October. And, of course, then we hit the, the stretch drive in November. But games that matter this weekend, we'll get to them. Uh, we will get to a lot. In fact, former Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby is going to join us today at 430 with some insight. Maybe I, I think that from what I was told, he's got several grandkids that he gets to enjoy uh, around the country, we'll talk to Bob Bowlesby and kind of reflect back on what he accomplished 
At, at the same time, how he reacted to the uh, Texas and OU departure and more about just college athlete, athletics in general. Gabe Eichert, who played at Oklahoma, Sirius XM Radio, he'll join us today. John Kirby from JayhawkSlant.com will join us on KU Oklahoma. Ricky Thompson, Paul's Top 5, and much more to get to. Don't forget, every weeknight at 1030 on the CW is 365 Sports Tonight. Kim Coulter, one of our dudes, one of our gentlemen, and some people may disagree with that, in the chat room sent me this picture. He's a lifelong Texas Rangers fan. He's pumped up, and his dream was Texas to play Arizona in the World Series because he lives just outside of Phoenix. There's the hat that he sent me. He goes, I pulled this out. My wife is not happy. She's an Arizona fan. Kim Coulter repping the Rangers for 365 Sports. Well, if there's one thing I've learned about being married uh, even these few months, it's you can't make your wife happy every day. Uh, nobody bats a thousand, and so pick your spots. It's a good one to pick, Kim. So ride your team, ride them, ride them all the way to victory. I uh, watching that game when I got home last night um, was uh, kind of wild to see uh, Philly at home just getting shut down in the late innings like that. I was uh, in Arizona and Texas. This is going to be a fun series. They're both riding a, a wave of momentum. Yep, they are. And no one would have picked them when this thing started, and, and here they are. Yeah, sharp-looking hat, Kim, and uh, appreciate you. Appreciate the fellow Rangers fan, and uh, excited to see this series. I know that there was a big collective oof when uh, it wasn't the Phillies by some national media members, uh, Nate Silver, Really just a D-bag with his comments after the game about how boring the series is going to be and how nobody cares. You know what? I don't care that Nate Silver or people like Nate Silver don't care. So, whatever. As long as the Rangers you know, go and win a World Series, I don't care if five people are watching. That TV ratings, we talk about it on Tuesdays just as kind of a, a way to see kind of where eyeballs are in college football. Um, and some of the times it's just the, the status quo, and sometimes it's interesting to see you know some game that doesn't feature Ohio State or Michigan or Texas that it, you know pops a big number. But I could not care, uh, or I don't care at all about who watches how many people watch this World Series. All I care about is yeah. the Rangers winning it. So uh, yeah, Kim, uh, go Rangers, and good luck with the the wife because that's a really good Diamondbacks team, and this should be uh, an interesting it, you know, set of games, however many we do end up getting here. Their pitching staff right now is incredible. they got great, great individual athleticism and speed. All right, so speaking of that, so Sunday night, Monday night, after it all happened, I just randomly went on to fanatics.com. Paul, Rangers. Oh, thank you. Craig, Rangers, thank you. World Series cap, Jack, Garrett. I didn't know if Emery and them were going to be here, so here's the uh, – Rangers World Series hat. Now, they got to win it, but there oh, we are with that. <laughs> appreciate Fanatics.com for uh, taking care of us here on 365 Sports. All right, so the latest with Michigan. Oh, everybody. Uh, they, every day you wake up, there's something new with them, right? Every single day. This was a story by uh, Sports Illustrated. In a lengthy exchange, part of their reports, in a lengthy exchange in 2021, Michigan's Connor Stallions, he's the one that's under kind of investigation, uh, texted that he stole opponent signals from TV, had close relationships with the Wolverines, the entire staff, had a vision for the Wolverines' future. There's nothing wrong with stealing signals, by the way, on television. Okay, first of all, he shouldn't have said that he learned their signals. He didn't steal them. 
because that's the other thing about stealing some like stealing signs in baseball. Well, if you figure them out, did you steal them? Cause they're out there for you to see. So stealing them to me would be, if you're doing it on video, that's stealing them. But if you learn them, then, then that's a different thing. There's semantics. Connor Stallions is not a very good criminal. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. He left a lot of uh, what appear to be some maybe fingerprints in the end. I still don't know what happens in the end, Craig, Paul, we've discussed that before, but this is pretty in-depth from Richard Johnson from Sports Illustrated. Even Ross Dellinger, who once worked there now at Yahoo, said that this was the most in-depth and details that he's even seen, even though he has been reporting quite a bit about Connor Stallions in the Michigan allegations. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't. Again, the biggest thing is what can be done. I mean, we've seen pictures. Like, you've seen the pictures of him on this Michigan sideline holding what Ohio State now has apparently said were their signals during that well, game. Well, I mean, of all people. Yeah. I mean, I mean Ohio <laughs> State bitching about Michigan. But, uh, and, and that, I, I get it if it happened. But, but the, he's got, look, either way, he's got a whole thing of signals. So yeah. his job was in the the – there's, Michigan can no longer say, well, he had other jobs. Like, clearly his his pl- position on that staff was, you figure out the signals because he has this big, you know, chart of them that they're using. Now, the methods, again, are, are starting to be seen here. But, yeah, it, this, is, um, this is weird. But the question is, and this is what Jim Harbaugh is going to be, what are they going to do about it? Are they going to do anything about it? Well, Jim Harbaugh is still the coach at Michigan. And – and other than hitting Michigan right after he would leave, but if Jim Harbaugh is the coach of the Raiders or the Bears next year, what does it matter yeah. what they do to Michigan? Craig? Yeah, I mean, to, to clarify, you know, there were some text messages between him and, and a guy who was, you know, looking to, uh, you know, get involved and, and be a part of a football staff and, and had conversations. And so, um, you know, a guy who uh, probably we don't, you know, have any idea even exist and, 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 and all that is now like a crucial piece to it further, you know, shedding some light on uh, a guy who we didn't know existed before this week in many cases. And so it's a cast of characters that we're suddenly being introduced to in another chapter of just wonky, weird college football tales. And this one with uh, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan as the, the main characters. And so, yeah, he, um, you know, had these text messages that uh, show him, uh, bragging for all intents and purposes about his role and how it, it kind of unfolded and who he was close to on the staff and, and all those things. And eventually gets to the point in the uh, article where it talks about his his manifesto, which uh, you hear that word and you shudder because that usually comes with like school shootings or, you know, some public massacre or something like that. And so it's a, it's a word that here in America, I feel like we hear that word and it's not very ever positive. In this case, it's at least something that's... Uh, not along those lines, and just weird. Uh, honestly, it's a uh, it's it's a master plan for him and um, you know uh, others to to or him and another guy to run Michigan football uh, in the future. And it lays out, I guess, in great detail all of their plans and how that's going to go. And uh, like I said, uh, hundreds of pages. Uh, so that's a fascinating article, I'm sure, to read. But uh, that part of the story just adds another layer of just weirdness and and. Uh, only college football, it feels like, has stories like this, but I know that's not the case. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot to unpack. It's, it's a bizarre story that's getting even weirder. Like you said, stealing signals and bragging about them, that doesn't break any rules or anything like that. But um, it does go to show you that anybody saying, there was nothing going on, there was nothing to this, um, there's very clearly some attachments here. There's very clearly some lines that you can draw. Now, whether you can draw them in Sharpie and prove it 
is one thing as opposed to, you know, like, can there actually be anything done about this? That I still don't know. But, yeah, very clearly there was some nefarious stuff going on. I think everybody probably figured that as of yesterday. Um, But for those maybe on the fence, I think uh, clearly this guy, whether mostly on his own or with the the direction of Harbaugh or – Jay Harbaugh or whoever else he became friends with, uh, there, there was a whole little setup going on. And to, to what depths it reached, that's the part that we still don't quite know yet. But, man, it smells the high heaven of a, of a, you know, a little opportunity by him and, and others to uh, you know, get, their, get their advantage. That uh, is so, um, you know, such a big thing in college football and that we know programs go to great lengths to get. And clearly, uh, in some form or fashion, this guy and, and some element of Michigan – uh, went to great lengths to try and get advantages on their upcoming opponents. One of the other parts of the story that has nothing to do with Michigan in any way, but it, it was that uh, he was able to get test scores and GPAs of some 500 midshipmen classmates uh, or uh, those who were at the Naval Academy. Uh, there was even a quote from somebody that said that he was infatuated in a way uh, with Michigan football. So, uh, again, that doesn't mean what he's doing now or what he's done, That, but it, it's just kind of a little bit strange. A guy obviously knows how to get data, uh, and, in fact, he was asked to delete all of it by the Naval Academy because that was under the Privacy Act, and I'm, I'm sure that possibly that happened pretty damn rapid. Well, like uh, Jed Fish is involved in this now tangentially because there was some, you know, he said to deny that Connor Stallions did anything for him because he, he said in, in some of his communications that when he was stationed in California, he would go to Tucson and help Jed Fish out as he transitioned to his new role. And so it's all, a, it's all like, all weird. It's a very weird story. And um, I can't wait for the 30 for 30 uh, about it. And I'm, I'm still curious as to what the, the end of it is for, for Michigan. Yeah, I still wonder if anything in the end is going to happen or are we just like going to jump all into this for the next two or three more months until the championship game is played or what? I'm sorry, but I think you said he, he kind of was obsessed with Michigan. No, he was very obsessed with Michigan. <laughs> he wrote the Michigan Manifesto, <laughs> hundreds <laughs> yeah. of pages of how he and okay, another maybe guy he was. are going to run Michigan football one day. So that cross is obsessed to me, or that is full-blown obsessed to me. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I don't know what – amounts to what can be punished or what can be, um, you know, uh, attached to Jay Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, any other number of people that could potentially be involved. Michigan's still saying the same things as far as like, hey, we had nothing to do with this and we're not involved in this. And you know what? The way it's being kind of framed right now, you can see the whole, here's just a nut job who was obsessed with Michigan football, who acted on his own and was doing all this. You can already see that being set up as a, as a potential angle here. Uh, kind of hard to imagine when you also see video, though, of him a foot away from Jim Harbaugh, very clearly talking to Jim Harbaugh during games with a big stack of papers in his hand. And, you know, even then you can see somebody, well, that's not technically illegal either. Right. And so we're just going to go in circles. You know, we can unpack every little note on this, but we're going to go in circles because everything is going to be met with, yeah, but is that illegal or is that this? And so I think it's a matter of, you know, we're going to find and, and get into some stuff where it's not necessarily illegal or punishable, but it does draw into question of just, like, competitiveness and what's right and what's wrong. And, and look, it's college football, so a lot of there's a lot of stuff done in the dark, and there's probably a lot of people out there, you know, burning their Ohio State manifesto right now or their Penn State or, well, it's not pick on the Big Ten entirely. I wish the Nebraska had one. Their Nebraska, I'm, man, yeah. I'm sure there's one somewhere. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, like, what can actually be proven, what can be connected to – 
Jim Harbaugh, what can be punishable? That we all still don't know. But, man, it's it's a weird story that just seems to get weirder with the, uh, each passing day. All right, let's discuss uh, one of the topics that obviously has brought a lot of us together in college football. That's part of it. But also the continual changes in conferences. This was discussed much earlier in the year. But the AAC presidents on Tuesday accepted Army into the conference starting next season. Uh, Ross Dellinger, Brett McMurphy, Pete Thamel, among many others, all had that. So congratulations to the cadets as they're now going to be a part of the American Athletic Conference. And I personally will be rooting for this. I mean, probably it's probably never going to happen, uh, or at least it wouldn't happen that often. But I would love to have back-to-back Army-Navy games at different sites like a concert like it like the eras tour because they will still play as a non-conference game but mm-hmm. if they're the top two teams in the conference they will play the week before in the conference title game so let's i, I can't wait to see what well what that would when be do like florida and florida state play they play the last week of the year and then they do the next thing what's the next week for each one of them well they'd be in their respective conference if title they made games. it right so yeah. it's that's not uncommon no right? but they're not in the same conference no I, that's true. not, not yeah. yet anyway yeah army navy uh will still be what it is and uh, be separated but you're right it's a little bit unique uh army right now uh coming off a spanking of lsu because go tigers yeah we're very angry themselves after what has been a little bit of an off start for them based on expectations. I, I, think, Craig, the, I think the Secretary of Defense needs to get involved in that one. Uh, uh, it's I a mean, great tradition. Army, I, I love this. They have kind of put themselves in position, and obviously they have a fan base, and there's a niche for what they do, and your thoughts about the American growing yet one more team. Uh, yeah, I mean, good for Army uh, to have the opportunity. You know, I, I hope and and yet I do kind of hope there is a conference title matchup between those two, but I do think the back-to-back's going to be funky if it works out that way uh, because the the game itself in the regular season is going to always maintain the same prestige and pageantry and all of that, but to run it back a week later, that, that would be really interesting. But, uh, you know, we'll, we cross that road when we get to it, and that's something that, you know, was always – a possibility in a lot of these leagues of like, hey, if you have the conference championship game, there's always the risk that you run that you could end up scheduling it to where you end up playing the same team two weeks in a row. And most of the time, I think that's pretty much always been avoided. But yeah, I mean, that's that's a possibility here now. Uh, good for them to find a home and um, some, I guess, uh, foundation to uh, help build upon. And obviously, everybody's scrambling trying to find their place in this new college football world. And for Army and the American, um, that came together for for both of those sides. So, you know, good for them, uh, good for the conference. And um, that's not, you know, a big splash in, I think, the realignment world, but it was something that was brought up a couple of weeks ago as a possibility or or something that was in the works. And so good to see them uh, get done with that and and bring it across the finish line. All right, Conference USA, right now, it's – Liberty and everybody else. The Flames are now 8-0 after winning last night against Western Kentucky. 12-0 if you look at the rest of their schedule. Now, again, we say this about schools, and no matter what, there's a game that like gets in your way or somebody has a great day or you don't play well or the weather, whatever. But they're 8-0, and and uh, the rest of their schedule seems to be pretty simple. But they still have to go out and play those games. Congratulations, Liberty off to an 8-0 start after the win against Western Kentucky. And I've already clinched a spot in the Conference USA title game. Yeah, um, not a surprise that Jamie Chadwell's doing well. Um, if you watch this show enough, you've I've never said a bad word about him. I never will. 
Uh, the dude can coach. Uh, I can't wait for him to get a P5 job. Maybe it'll be this year. Maybe he's only at Liberty for one year. Uh, I'm wondering what everybody is waiting for. Um, you know, if you want a coach who is innovative and different and, and clearly can win, uh, and you want to give him the full tools with which to do it, uh, I I think you can do a lot worse than Jamie Chadwell. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I I think that um, it's it's proven out in every level of, of sports that you know retreading things doesn't quite often work. And when you get new and different, then you can really innovate. And I think that whoever hires Jamie Chadwell is going to see some wins. Well, it's just going to create an interesting conversation if they end up unbeaten, which they're probably going to end up unbeaten. I mean, they don't play it but one team above 500 in the next month, mm-hmm. and that closes out their schedule. They play uh, La Tech. There should be a win. Uh, Old Dominion, UMass, and UTEP. I mean, come on. Uh, so, you know, they're not going to have a great argument when it comes to strength of schedule. They're not going to have a playoff argument because they've played nobody in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, to go unbeaten, which, hey, they're still a month away. If, you know, there's always the chance that, you know, something goes awry, but – you know, they got Caden Salter there, quarterback, young man who we know from when he played at Cedar Hill, and then obviously went to Tennessee, got in trouble, got booted, ends up at Liberty, and uh, has played really well this year. Is a, a dual threat. Uh, I think he had over 100 yards rushing last night, uh, which has become kind of commonplace for him to have big yards on the ground and in the air at four touchdowns, and um, they took care of their business. So they're going to, you know, have a, a pretty – uh, manageable road moving forward and a very good shot at finishing 12 and 0 which will be a nice feather in, in Jamie Chadwell's cap but uh, there's not like that non-con game that you go like man and they beat so and so but yeah good for them uh, good for them on on taking care of their business and then Jamie Chadwell himself on his own Twitter feed is it me or uh are these Michigan fans on the 50 yard line tonight to watch the flames to see the flames there's a Michigan guy well, it is um, <laughs> I, but I don't probably know that as a joke I would yeah. think hey well, look, yeah, let's clearly. go to the game and sit at the 50 with Michigan uh, well also he's not paying attention like Connor Stallions would look at this guy he's just looking at his phone the person next to no, him is he's emailing the file <laughs> yeah and the fact that this dude's name's Connor Stallions, like that just makes the story even goofier, does it mm-hmm. not? Like, because yes. now you hear that name, it sounds like a porn star name or something yeah. like that. But I mean, now you hear it, and it's it's a name that you it's rather than like any like any other combination. I don't know, think pops like Connor Stallions, so it just it adds a, another layer. But yeah, I don't think that they're they're too busy worrying about uh, Liberty and a potential playoff matchup. But uh, you know, they they do have a great shot at going unbeaten. They got a great run game. Uh, fun quarterback, and he's doing a good job. All right, I want to go to the Oregon State bomb alert, and I'm not making light of this, but yet again, because nothing happened. How about this one? You guys tell me if I've been, like, sleeping here. A bomb alert in Starship food delivery robots. Do not open robots. Avoid all robots robots until further notice. Public safety is responding. There are robots that deliver food? Uh, I, I guess there are. Did you know this? State. I, I knew that they were starting to be. So, like, two weeks ago, there was a – go and find the video. Tennessee's band was walking out. You know how they do, do a walkthrough? Yeah. And the robot – there's a food delivery robot that somebody was getting to the uh, tailgate that is stuck in their band, and the band <laughs> is having to walk around this robot. It's insane. I did not know that even existed. Yeah. I knew robots were there, but I – Craig, had you ever heard about food delivery robots? Yeah, I have. Uh, I don't. I didn't see see what uh, Garrett was referring to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've seen like in Japan, they've got all sorts of technology we don't have over here yet. But I mean, yeah, I don't. I don't know the extent of it's rolling around Oregon State's campus or anything. I'm not that well versed in 
in uh, in how things are operating uh, out in Corvallis, but or elsewhere for that matter. But yeah, that's that's weird. Um, I guess I don't know. I don't really have much on that. I just wasn't expecting that tweet. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That's, All right, I don't. I don't. Uh, Bracket Cat says Skynet is coming. That's precisely <laughs> why I don't trust robots. And I know that the Terminator is a fake movie, but a very real possible premise of we let the robots get too much in control and then Skynet happens and we, we have to fight Terminators. I don't want to do that. I, I, I think that that's a bridge too far. And like, it's great that there's things and technology that move past that can maybe do some things better than, than a, a human being's hands. But like, we're getting way too lazy. Okay. Where- do we, do you have one of those, uh, Vacuum cleaner robots? Yes. Yeah, I don't trust that dude. I don't how do you, trust how him. How do you know it's male? Uh, well, I named him Frank because okay. it tends to name it. So, but I, I don't trust Frank. I don't trust him. He runs in my house for an hour and 45 minutes every day. I don't know what he's plotting. I don't know what he's up to. But it's not my choice to have him. I did not know they had food delivery, but that's a cool idea. Brock said, I hate robot delivery. Um, Never experienced it, but it, yeah, it sounds like I've, I mean I've seen like videos of it and stuff, uh, but yeah, it seems like it'd be pretty weird. Mike Bean, uh, yes on robots. I saw them in L.A. this summer. Uh, from Allen, do they deliver? Uh, they do deliveries at Houston as well. Can you imagine with that massive humanity and traffic in Houston? Uh, they do delivery in Houston. Uh, I've seen them around the sidewalk. Uh, from uh, let's see here. Uh, UH has robots delivery. Not sure if it's a private company or the university. Japan has vending machines uh, like that. And I, they had vending machines when I used to be a kid in Japan. They had beer vending machines off base. You could just stick a few yen in there and pop down a bottle of, of cold ones. One robot robot went through a crime scene to deliver. I, <laughs> yeah, there, there's not, uh, I don't think there's any flawless uh you know, programmed robot just yet. I think that's part of why we probably haven't seen it more so than in big cities and things like that. Still working out the kinks in some ways. But, yeah, there's some interesting inventions out in Japan uh, along those lines, and I've seen some of that in America as well. I don't know how commonplace it is. I certainly haven't seen it around Central Texas here, but maybe in Austin they've got some of that going on. I don't know. All right. uh, Yeah, that's weird. Frank the Roomba, laugh out loud, bracket cat. Thank you very much. Uh, Neilio, needless to say, the Wichita Police Department bomb squad was called in to the Home Depot because of uh, uh, perhaps the issues. That's what it was. Somebody alerted the police on campus, whatever, that something with one of the robots might be a little bit fishy. So there you are uh, with that. Now, here's Rob Brenton. He does radio in Kansas City. He put up a note about Kansas. It is so frustrating as a KU fan that Saturday isn't sold out. Kansas is 5-2, and two, coming off an entire week of rest. It's homecoming, facing a top-10 opponent. Big noon kickoff is there. Why isn't it sold out yet? Now, some of the responses to this were, yeah, it's frustrating, and that's who it is. Oklahoma, you're surprised because OU will bring a large group of fans too. Uh, we've been through that a little bit at times at Baylor where you wonder sometimes where they are, and then we finally just got tired of beating our heads against the wall. Some games are better than others. It's just kind of – so somebody, uh, well, okay, if it's not sold out, why don't you go buy 1,000 or 10,000 tickets? That's not the point of the tweet. I get what he's saying. It's a huge game for KU. If it's a basketball game, sure, there would be no problem. But it's kind of still kind of learning the ropes about about football games at home at KU. Yeah, I think in the end they'll have a great crowd. Yeah, I, I think they will. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a football school. It's a basketball school. And, um, you know, 
it, it, basketball season's about to start. Uh, they've already got people probably planning out what that's going to be. So there's, you know, I mean, heck, I know. Um, I, we're trying to figure out if we can make it up to uh, to Lawrence for a game uh, this year because that's going to be a big thing for Amanda and her brother and and uh, their subsequent significant others. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I live in a house with a Kansas fan and, you know, she's like, oh, great, Kansas won today. And then I'll be like, yeah, it was a really exciting game. She's like, yeah, I stopped watching it in the middle. I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's just not it's not there with that fan base yet. KU, according to Bracket Cat, finally stopped giving away blocks of tickets. Bean, Mike Bean, saying it's $100 a ticket. So also, yeah. when you gave away, you know, a long time ago, back at Floyd Casey, they had, like, you buy a Whataburger, you got two tickets to a Baylor game. It was really tough to get people in the stadium. And, of course, at the time, they weren't very good either. But I, I hope that KU fans, and I hope that Oklahoma will bring some fans now. They're going to go wherever they play, and hopefully it's a sold-out game before they get to Saturday in that game that plays against the number, what is it, six-ranked Oklahoma Sooners. Yeah, I, I hope they I hope they have a good crowd. Um, I think it should be a, a really interesting game. If you're a student of a Power 5 school, you should be required to go to football games and be loud. There are some students on campuses that don't even know football exists. They don't. I mean, even if it's a, a pretty darn good school with great history and also football. Uh, from Camelo, Oklahoma fans, before it's said and done, will buy up a good chunk of whatever tickets there might be. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, you know, it's not a Kansas alone problem, like you said. Exactly. So, um that's uh, unfortunate, but it's also not surprising at all. Um, you know, Big Noon's going to be there, and I uh, think that by the time we roll, it's Wednesday. So by the time we get around to Saturday, I'm sure that they'll have it packed out. Now, how much of that's Oklahoma fans, I don't know. But, um, yeah, that's that's part of, I guess, the Kansas football brand, you know, waking up a little bit and, and people out there getting accustomed to a different way of life where the football program is highly competitive and uh, they're, you know, in the mix to win each week and, um, that has not been commonplace for a long time up until, you know, the past couple of years, really. So, um, you know, you'd have to go a ways back for, for most people to remember the Mangino days. Uh, that's forever ago at this point. So, yeah, I think it's just part of the, the culture up there is not as football-driven, but I'm sure there's other factors like ticket prices or whatever that, you know, eliminate some people from from uh, showing up as well. So, yeah, don't don't know enough about the situation up there other than that's a basketball school, and so I get it to some extent, but... Uh, hopefully there is a, a terrific crowd, and I imagine there will be by the time the game rolls around. I also think that people have to kind of learn along the way where they used to get tickets for free or they handed them out. And, again, a lot of schools, it's not just KU. Baylor's dealt with that before in other schools as well. TCU was even in a run for a college playoff uh, run, and, and, and they still had, at times, struggles. I think before it's said and done, hopefully somebody will buy the tickets up of donor. Hell, Nebraska's got a great history and tradition of what they do with sellouts, and even the last couple of years, because it's been so bad, they've had to have people buy a, a block of 10, a, a 1,000 or 1,500 tickets to give away, and that's as loyal a fan base as you could possibly have. Now, to USC, with the Lincoln-Riley news after missing a couple of days of practice, this from yesterday evening, Antonio Morales, USC, working with compliance to make Cliff Kingsbury to acting assistant in Riley's absence. Now, you have the 10 assistants, and obviously, I don't know. I have not seen the news yet about today. Practice USC, and we'll try to get an update on that. I did text Ryan Abraham, but 
that that seemed like a, that that seemed like that perhaps they might expect him to be gone for a while. Yeah, if that's the case, if he's going to be under the weather, um, I don't know what the presidential line of succession rules are when it comes to the NCAA and your your ten active assistants. But um, and I'm not even totally sure what Cliff Kingsbury's exact role has been on this. Um, I have a theory on Cliff Kingsbury and USC, uh, which if we have time, I can go into later uh, about what he's really doing there. One of the um, things I need to ask is the acting head coach is Dennis Simmons, who was a part of that staff. He's the acting head coach. They're trying to get Kingsbury then to, to replace one of the openings as an assistant coach. Well, well th- I, I can tell you the theory that uh, most or the, the – you know, if you want to get rid of an assistant coach, I have an idea of who most USC fans would do to get that down to nine. Yes, who? That would be Alex Grinch. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, if you ask them, like, hey, we can only have 10, well, uh, I can get you down to nine in about five minutes if you'll let me. So, um, but I don't know if they're going to do that uh, and no, reassign not. the defensive coordinator job. They're not. Yeah, um, you're right, though, Paul. I mean, I'm sure that would be the first offer for many USC fans out there, but, um, you know, I just find the whole Riley timing of all this very weird, and um, you know, hopefully that's just coincidental. Uh, as much as I do think that his program is soft and his handling of of some things has been soft, um, you know, I don't know. If there's a personal issue going on, so mm-hmm. hopefully he's okay. Uh, hopefully his family's okay. Uh, it's all very in the dark as to why you know he's suddenly unavailable. So I hope that doesn't mean anything uh, bad going on, um, but still. You know, something's up because otherwise, you know, or he's just sick. I mean, maybe it's what the, the Baylor staff had over the last month. I, I have no idea. But, uh, yeah, that's something to monitor for sure. And uh, Kingsbury obviously would be a logical choice to um, get back in the college coaching game, head coaching game at some point in time. Is this that leapfrog for him ultimately to get back in, and firmly in the mix as an active guy um, at USC or elsewhere uh, eventually? I don't know, but yeah, um, good to have a guy like that on staff, I guess, that you can promote in a situation like this, and yeah, we'll see how it goes for them, because they have a bunch of big games still upcoming, and, and obviously, out of uh, last weekend's uh, result, it's been a, a lot of wondering and um, hissing and, you know, just a, a lot of question marks about USC and, and the direction they're going now with a couple of losses that uh, that was not supposed to be the way this, this season went. And here we are, and now there's this weird Lincoln-Riley aspect to the story. So, yeah, this, this final month will be uh, be interesting to follow that, that program. And the category of be careful that whatever you see on Twitter is true. There was a picture posted of Lincoln-Riley at O'Hare International Airport in Chicago, uh, and it was with uh, what – someone said was a member of the McCaskey family uh, who owns the, the Bears. That picture was from 2018. So be careful about what you jump into when it comes to, and I, I admit there's, there's a, a couple of the, uh, what you call them, the uh, fake accounts, especially Ian Rappaport on uh, NFL. I always get caught up on, on that one a couple of different times, but be careful what you think is true. All right. It's uh, 3.34. We will today uh, bounce around and, in fact, discuss KU in Oklahoma. It's still a good story about what Kansas has done, Lance Leipold, when it comes to Jayhawks football. Oklahoma coming to town. We will hear from John Kirby. He was at the football media session today. He's next from JayhawksSlant.com. This is 365 Sports. I did get the uh, information from Brian Bauer, Waco Custom Marketplace. Their holiday items which Thanksgiving around the corner, and then, of course, Christmas and New Year's. Half spiral hams, pit hams, bone-in hams, 
whole raw turkeys, whole smoked turkeys, and mini pit hams are going to be available at this store. All items. There are some there now, but all the items will be in stock starting on November the 8th. So a little bit longer to go, but that's coming. And they got great prices on all of that. If you want to get a ham, turkey, all of the above, you can do that. You could also look at the possibility of a tenderloin, a pork or beef tenderloin. And if you want even, which is always pretty good during the holiday season or anytime, honestly, is prime rib because they can cut one up for you and have it available. It's a full-service butcher shop with pork, poultry, beef, and seafood. The bakery with fresh-baked kolaches and bread every day, among a lot of other great sweets. And, uh, yes, cold beer and wine if you want. It's a tailgate place for you, too, with all of what I've mentioned. Plus, they have pellet fuel and charcoal. It's Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco. Some say a dog is a man. to Rudy's for some tasty oak smoke barbecue. Next in line. During Jeep Adventure Day, say big on 2023 Jeep models like the Grand Cherokee Limited with values up to $5,500 or 10% off MSRP on new Jeep Gladiators on all trim levels or 10% off MSRP on a new Jeep Compass at Allen Samuels in Waco. Boozers is the wedding ring store and more. If you're ready to get engaged or already married and want to upgrade your wife's ring for a special anniversary, Boozers is the place to go. With the largest selection of premier quality diamond engagement rings and wedding rings in Central Texas. They have seven cases with over 300 styles of rings from top designers like Natalie Kay. Choose from yellow, white, or rose gold, plus beautiful top quality loose diamonds. With an in-house jewelry, they can also custom make anything you want. Bring in a picture or drawing and let Boozers create your one-of-a-kind pendant or ring. They can even use some of your old gold and diamond jewelry to create something new. At Boozers, you'll find a great selection of quality timepieces, and Boozers is the place for expert watch maintenance and repairs, too. They specialize in expert Rolex watch repair for fine jewelry, watches, custom work, and more. Go to Boozers on Valley Mills and Lake Air Drive in Waco. Boozers, the wedding ring store. Riverbend Liquor and Wine now has two locations to serve you. The original on Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street and the brand new spot in downtown Waco at 600 Franklin Avenue. If you're looking for the best in craft beers or local Texas bourbons, then the original is the place to be. And for the latest trends and online phenomenons, head downtown to the Franklin location. Either way, you're going to get the same great variety, customer service, and speedy experience. Check out both locations on their Facebook and Instagram pages. Riverbend Liquor and Wine, Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street, and now now downtown on Franklin Avenue. Stepping into a new pair of boots is great, but stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can also add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. There are more than 150 occupational specialties to help them find the best fit for their future. See all the things your son or daughter can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. 
Joe Johnson Realtors guide you seamlessly through the process of buying your dream home or selling your current one. Commercial, farm and ranch, or residential, Camille Johnson Realtors can smoothly and successfully lead you through any transaction. With a team of 28 experienced agents who are excited about serving you, Camille Johnson Realtors services the entire greater Waco area. If you're in the market to buy or sell, contact Camille Johnson Realtors, 104 Midway Center in Woodway, or find them online at www.camillejohnson.com. Camille Johnson Realtors, elegant, charming, warm. Welcome home. This is 365 Sports. The 3 o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. 425 Lake Air Drive, Waco. John Kirby covers KU, JayhawkSlant.com. He'll join us momentarily. Craig's got a little bit of updated news involving, of course, the Pac-12-2 or not with Oregon State and Washington State. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just got this, so I um, uh, I don't know if we, we might have to revisit it because I think we just got our guest, and it's not going to be a 10-second read All right, read let's off, do that. So. John Kirby, JayhawkSlant.com, joins us. He was at the KU Media uh, availability today on his way back. Battled thunderstorms. Glad you're okay, John. I hope you uh, eventually got home safely. It sounds like you did. So what is the tone this week? This is not unexpected for KU to be a part of a big game because of last year and this year. What is the mood of the tone in Lawrence, in your opinion? Yeah, I think it's positive. You know, they're five and two. They're another win, you know, another win away from going to a bowl game, which guys, some people just don't believe this statistic. Kansas has only been to back-to-back bowl games one time in the history of their, of their program, okay? So if they get another win, that will be the second time that they've been bowl eligible in back-to-back years. So, you know, I, I look at it as they're still ahead of schedule. I mean, they're 5-2. and two. When you look back at their schedule and you saw who they're playing, 5-2, and two, most Kansas fans would have taken it. I, I just think things are upbeat. I think coming off of a bye week, uh, Lance Leipold used the word refreshed. And, you know, talking to the coordinators today, you know, I think it's given them an extra week, start implementing some plans early. So, so I took everything as uh, everything's pretty upbeat. John, um, they don't have Jalen Daniels, and who knows uh, when they will. But what has been Jason Bean's biggest growth over these few weeks where it was it was 50-50 last year if he was in the game that they were going to win, uh, and now it appears that they've at least figured out how to navigate the, the non-Jalen Daniels offense. Yeah, they you know they got good practice in it last year. You know, a lot of people forget. The, the big game last year was TCU at home. ESPN game day brought their crew there. It was a top 25 matchup. And Jalen Daniels got hurt at the very end of the first half. And KU had three points. Okay, The offense was struggling. Jason Bean comes in in the second half. He throws for 250 yards, four touchdowns. And they it, it's a great game. It goes down to the wire. And then the next week, Jason Bean goes to Norman. And the offense puts up 42 points. He You know, they look real good. So, He's been in this offense. It might change a little bit what they do schematically, but they figured out what they're doing with him. I mean, listen, guys, last week in Stillwater in their last game, Jason Bean throws for 410 yards and five touchdowns. So, you know, Leipold said uh, in his press conference that he's had some national guys reach out to him and say that they think Bean's the best backup in the country. So, you know, it's a pretty nice luxury to have him back. 
Yeah, he's super experienced. I mean, having that that time at North Texas as well prior to KU, I think it's really benefited. And all the snaps he's got in Lawrence alone, I mean, yeah, he's got to be, if not the best, he's he's arguably the best and, and certainly one of the most experienced backup quarterbacks, I think, at this point in the country. Uh, but, John, just what is the feeling around the, the absence of Jalen Daniels? Obviously, it's disappointing you don't have your star quarterback, especially in a year where you're set up to have this guy, you know, lead you to the promised land. But, um, obviously, there's no answers right now as to a return. But just what is sort of the feel about the fact that he's been unavailable for the most part this year? You know, it started, guys, I think the feel started in fall camp, okay? He missed the last couple weeks, a key stretch of fall camp, and that's where Bean took over the reps. And then the backup to Bean is a kid named Cole Ballard, who is the who is a preferred walk-on. His dad's the general manager of the, the Indianapolis Colts. So he came in in June and quickly moved ahead of some other guys. So those are your first and those are your first and second guys right now. So uh, I think there would be some real nervousness, not not to say Ballard can't get it done, but if, if Jason Bean were to get hurt and you've got to go with the kid, you know, who just showed up on campus in June, who was a preferred walk-on. But I think the fans and the people around the program have kind of gotten used to it, like I was just referring to, because they've seen this story before, okay? I mean, Jalen Daniels is a freshman, you know, got dinged up, and then last year he got hurt, and then this year he's missed time. And, you know, it's just been an unfortunate thing. And, you know, I, I think it's the, it's his lower back, what they've told us, or somewhere in the back. So, you know, hopefully he can get healthy. And Lance said he's starting to do some more things, and he's progressing. John, uh, what do you think is the thing they can they can do against Oklahoma that Oklahoma's going to have a trouble trouble stopping? I think they can run the football. And, and I know Oklahoma's pretty good against the run, but Kansas runs the football well. Now, against Oklahoma State, they just flat out said, Kansas, you're not going to run the ball. And they stacked the box with everybody they could, and they did shut down the run game. But Bean still threw for 400 yards. So – I think Kansas can run the football. You know, guys, it's one of the hot topics right now is this this weather that that keeps changing. And now the latest forecast, they're saying 46 degrees for a high on Saturday with some winds and possible 60% chance of rain now. So, you know, that that could be a big factor. But I think Kansas can run the football. And they've just – Kansas has got to take care of the – in space defensively. That's where Oklahoma State got them. Those little passes out in the flat where the wide receivers take a two-yard pass and turn it into a 14-yard game. Kansas has got to play better in space. But I watched Central Florida last week, and Central Florida's defensive front, when they're healthy, they're pretty good. And they, they got a bye week to get healthy, and then they got a couple guys back on defense. And I thought they played really well against Oklahoma. So, you know, Kansas is going to look at that film, what Central Florida did, and maybe try to mimic that a little bit. But, you know, I think we're trending toward a sellout crowd. You got the Fox Game Day Studios coming. I really think the Jayhawks are going to be ready to play in this one. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that it would probably end up being a sellout because I saw a note or two from some radio guys in, in Kansas City that perhaps there was a concern. But I can't imagine, especially with Oklahoma, they're going to bring their contingent to what a great set. And just to think about, John, so many games that the stands were empty and what they've been able to get to now the last couple of years. Well, I think that's, you know, the, the attendance is such a hot topic. It's every week. It's on our message boards, wherever you go. Is this game going to sell out? What's the crowd going to be like? You know, guys, you got to look back at this, okay? And, and I see both sides of the story here. 
you know, everybody says, well, hey, they're turning it around. You know, the fans need to be there and support it, and they do. But also, they went 14 years of never winning more than three games in the season, Mm -hmm. all right? So, I mean, you lose a lot of fans. I don't care whether you call them fair weather fans or not or what the term is. When you go that long without having any success, you lose your fan base. I mean, most anybody would, even a a great program – Sure, there's going to be people in the seats, but there may not be as many. So I I think that – I really think the fans have supported it. There were several sellouts last year. I think this game will sell out. I still think you got a couple more that will sell out. And if you look back at this, you're probably going to have seven or eight sellouts in two years, which in Kansas is not bad at all considering the the recent history. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, Takes more than a couple of years to erase fourteen years, right? I mean, it takes Great it takes point. a little bit of time to ramp everybody's uh, beliefs back up. But Lance Leipold certainly seems to be uh, doing that job at a, at a very high level right now. What jumps off the page to you about Oklahoma? I mean, they've got a fun offense when it's especially when it's clicking. Great quarterback. The defense really is the story, though. What from a Kansas point of view do you think is the the biggest concern or wonder about how this game might play out on Saturday? Well, offensively. They, they do worry it because Kansas has had trouble in space. And that's one thing Oklahoma will do. They get that, they, you know, they're up there snapping that ball every 15 seconds and they're running to the line and they start getting you winded and they start getting the ball out quick and they let their, their skilled players do some things in space. You know, watching Oklahoma, you know, they've always had some of those big, nasty linemen. Just watching them here lately, it didn't, don't know if maybe the inside guys are quite as physical and, and will maul you like they did. I don't know if their running games is good. But, you know, when you look back at Texas, Gabriel led the team in rushing, ran for over 100 yards. So, again, those are things that worry me, worry me about the Jayhawks because they've improved defensively. They're more physical. But I still don't know if they're a whole lot more athletic than they were last year. So playing in space is a concern. And then when, when, they're on, when they're on offense, they've got to run the football. That, that is really what they can do. You know, Bean can get a little bit of option going in Andy Kotelnicki's system. They've got two really good running backs. I mean, that, Neil and Hyshaw may be the best one-two punch in the Big 12. I mean, a little bit different styles, but, but they get the job done. Hyshaw's a physical runner. So if Kansas can get that going and you get a little bit of cold weather coming in there and they start milking that clock, I think it's going to be a good one. John, do you, do you have any worries as you know, Lance Leipold, you know, Michigan State or a job that might open up that would, would come and get him? Or do you think that he is um, kind of like Matt Campbell at Iowa State right now where things are kind of going his way and to, and to upset the apple cart for him professionally might not be the right time to do that? Well, you know, guys – there's a few things in play here with that, okay? I mean, money talks, right? So, I mean, if it got, let's say Michigan State really wanted to go after Lance Leipold. I don't know that there's a lot Kansas can do financially. Okay, I mean, Michigan State can go pay their guy $9 million, and I don't know that Kansas can do that. So if it becomes a financial thing, there are some battles Kansas won't win. But you got to look, you know, there's stadium renovations going on that are going to be hundreds of millions worth of dollars that's going on right now. They're going to break ground in six weeks on this new football stadium. It's going to be like a, uh, they're calling it the gateway district. Okay. And it's, it's very nice. We've seen all the drawings. We were there at the press conference when they announced it back in August, 
Lance Leipold, you know, he's got his fingerprints on that. They just redid the locker room. They just redid the weight room. They're going to be doing the redoing the football complex. Lance Leipold has a chance to make – I don't want to say he has a chance. This is his program, okay? He calls the shots. He runs his program. He oversees it. And, and I just – I don't mean it like nobody messes with him, but nobody messes with him, all right? I mean, this is – I don't know how many places he can go where he is – he is the boss, and, and he has control of what he does. He's building something here. I know his son, Landon, is a junior. I've heard he likes it in Lawrence. He's a starter on the football team there in Lawrence, a, a really good program. I've heard the family likes it there. So, you know, right, right now, I would feel good if a Michigan State came calling. I, I feel strong that, you know, Lance would definitely st- stay in Lawrence right now. But that's my feeling. Wisconsin and Nebraska came open last year. You know, he signed a new seven-year deal, $5 million with, with KU last year. I mean, $5 million bucks is almost double what they've ever paid any football coach in the history of their program. The, uh, the way that this program has, I guess, been built by him, and there's still, as you mentioned, construction to do. There's always construction. How many years do you think they are ahead of the curve if Lance Leipold was being honest? Oh, from when he took over? Yep. Oh, yeah, they're they're ahead of the curve, for sure. And, and again, we base that curve, guys, on, on Kansas history, yes. which isn't great. Okay, I mean, Glenn Mason and Mark Mangino, in my lifetime of covering Kansas football and being around it and following it, since my days I was in middle school, those are the only two coaches that have ever won at Kansas. Now, you can put Leipold in that category now too so when you say ahead of the curve i'd say he's definitely ahead of the curve i mean he's about ready to if he can get the six wins he's about ready to do what only one other coach in the history of the school has done and that's go to back-to-back bowl games so i definitely think they're out in front and you know he does such a great job they're uh they're so structured they're organized if if you saw just the way the program is run even from their inside people the administration I, it's pretty impressive it reminds me a lot of how Mark Mangino ran his program and how organized and how disciplined and structured everything was then. John, appreciate it. Uh, is there, There's still KU basketball, and we know what that means. What is the juggling act right now, and how much fun will that be to have this football team for the second consecutive year locked in, and yet we also know it runs that campus in Lawrence? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great time. I mean, if you're a Kansas fan, I mean, gosh, that's that's several months of, of good sports running together. I mean, they haven't seen that in such a long time. You know, back in 2007, you know, they, they went to the Orange Bowl that year and beat Virginia Tech, and in the same year they won the national championship in basketball. So, you know, they, they've seen good times, but what, what, what Lance is doing right now with that football program and with what Bill Self has done and built with the basketball program you know, you got two guys that are going in the right direction. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Glad you were safe on your trip back to get the Lawrence uh, back to Kansas City. John Kirby with JayhawkSlant.com. He is so right about when a team starts to win and everyone's like, my God, every it, it man, you're talking about having to almost redevelop or completely renovate a fan base's not only the butts in the seats, but the mentality of don't fool us or we don't know if we believe you yet. Well, it's kind of like, okay, say um, 
you have somebody who's habitually late to work, but they're a good employee, right? You, they, when they do work, they get there, but you have to lay the law down of, hey, you cannot be late anymore. Well, for a little while, even though they might be on time and on time and on time and doing it right, you're still going to think like, man, they were late a lot before. And so it's going to be a long time before they prove to you that they're not going to be late again. That's probably how a lot of Kansas fans feel because they're like, okay, they're enjoying it now, but you know, they've got to get to the point where they trust them where the other shoe's not going to drop and they're not going to fall back into the abyss. Yeah, I mean, it is a basketball school still. I mean, it always will be. They will always have the preference of, of fans out there. And, um, you know, there's there's never-ending buy-in there that's been established goodwill over decades of play now at this point. And, yeah, now you've got a couple of years of good football. They didn't just follow bad football. It followed the worst football in the entire country. It followed scandalous football. It mm-hmm. followed just bottom of the absolute bottom rung brand of football there for a little while so it's not like you're just oh well they didn't win much it wasn't it wasn't just that it was they didn't win much and they were awful I mean lowest of the low uh in in terms of competitiveness and just uh, the way a program should operate and you know now Lance Leipold had to come in and basically put out fires left and right and rebuild that thing from ashes and uh, he's doing a good job with that but it is and will always be basketball minded mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to take yeah more than a couple of years to suddenly just jam pack the stands but at the same time like you know you point out a tweet which you know when's Twitter not complaining about something but all due respect to the people like I can't believe it's not a sellout but it was also what Monday Tuesday when they posted that and here we are and he's saying they're going to be well on their way to a sellout so like you know I mean that let let the week go by but I, I know that that's been probably a concern at various other points as well but yeah I, I didn't fret too much about Oklahoma being sold out now it will it be 60 percent crimson you know that's that's the question mark but but yeah that's going to take some time and and that's just too like I talked about this with um, I hate to always compare it to Baylor, but that's like you know what we base it off of is um, they're going to have to convince their fans to show up to games. They won a Big Twelve title two years ago, you know they they're so bad at home that people are tired of fool me once, fool me twice. Like eventually, I'm just going to stop coming to home games so you prove you can win a freaking home game because they haven't done it in so long. And so I'm sure there's you know maybe some element of that with the fan base as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, good to hear that they'll have a. You know, a good crowd. Uh, hopefully, it's mostly Jayhawks fans because Oklahoma fans do travel in bunches. But a great opportunity for them, regardless of who's in the stands, uh, to knock off a top ten team and ruin their season and ruin their you know potential dream scenario, leaving the Big Twelve. And there's only so many more of those opportunities for these remaining Big Twelve schools to do that to Oklahoma and Texas. And they got really close last week, uh, but we got a handful of games now for both for somebody to try and knock them off their perch. Um, that's not each other. Uh, or, you know, potentially knock them, in Texas' case, with another loss or two, knock them off the perch entirely uh, and out of the Big 12 title game. So, you know, they've got a grand opportunity. I do think Oklahoma's going to be a lot sharper coming off of that little wake-up call against UCF, but with the two weeks to prepare, um, that's always dangerous, especially with a great coach like Leipold. So, yeah, it's it's unfortunate, though, that, that this isn't the full meal deal with Jalen Daniels because that could that did have the makings of something, you know, potentially special. Uh, but Jason Beans, again, as we mentioned at the very beginning, as, as experienced and as good of a backup quarterback as you could really have in the country right now, given the landscape. So in uh, him they trust, and he had a big performance the last time. It wasn't enough against Oak State, but maybe it'll be enough against uh, the other team in the Sooner State. Man, I tell you what, if you give him some open space, he's gone. Uh, he, he's, he's big and physical. You know, you look around at the running quarterbacks. Gabriel, of course, has the ability to extend to play. Jalen Daniels. 
would have been perhaps the ultimate. And Garrett Green at West Virginia has the ability to take off. Ewers was doing that. Of course, he's going to be out for a while, but he finally, you know, kind of got involved in that, and it surprised some people because there were so many weapons to uh, to cover. Who are you talking about, Jalen Daniels? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, his running ability, yeah, makes it makes a big difference because Jason Bean's not, you know, a great runner. I mean, it's not something that is like his bread and butter. No, um, no, what I'm saying is if you give him enough speed, he's big enough yeah, he can, and has yeah. enough speed. And then, of course, there's the Avery Johnson factor at K-State, too. Yeah, I mean, that's a totally different world, though. I mean, that's that's a dude who is a, a you know, a, a ter- tremendous runner. Like, that's his, his go-to right now. Jason Bean, he just threw for 400 yards. So, uh, yeah, he can run, but... I mean, not compared to to Jalen Daniels and the type of offense they would have had with him at the helm, um, you know, still can open it up, still, you know, play exciting brand of football. But, yeah, there's a dimension um, that just Daniels a little bit better in that regard that uh, made them probably a little bit more dangerous. But, yeah, Bean can hurt you in in, in multiple ways. Um, But, yeah, he had a pretty big performance there against that Cowboys defense. Yeah, and you wonder about when Jalen Daniels was playing a little bit because of the injury if he didn't, you know, because they both have carried the ball the amount, same amount with Daniels out. And actually, Bean has averaged a little bit more yards per carry. But Daniels probably was also favoring the injury. But we all said this. I think all of us did. 75 yards to go, two minutes on the clock, and you might not even have timeouts. You're down six. You need who do you want as a quarterback to take you down. Now, Dylan Gabriel did that against Texas. But I think most of our answers would, if you could pick one, it would be Jalen Daniels. Yeah, I, I would. I, I'm a big proponent of that. I, you know, if you, uh, I asked Garrett this yesterday. Garrett, if you took Jalen Daniels right now and put him on Alabama right now, would people be talking about Alabama's struggles as much as they are? No, they would say they're probably contending for a natty or being up there. Yeah, I mean, he's he's that kind of difference maker, but he can't stay healthy. He's he's unique, and I don't think he's. Caleb Williams unique, but the dude just plays. I mean, he, and he makes he's he's got this knack for things. I would love to have him uh, on my squad if I were anybody in the country. And it's it's a super bummer that he's he's been fighting through these injuries. When we come back, Ricky Thompson, Baylor radio sideline reporter and analyst. Also today, we'll hear from former Big Twelve Commissioner Bob Bowlesby, Gabe Eichert, Oklahoma, and now with Sirius XM and has been with his own show. In the afternoon, inside the Big 12 or Big 12 today, he will join us then. And this is 365 Sports. Richard Carr, Buick GMC Cadillac. They are the people that you can count on right now. Highway 6 is a mess out in front of the dealership, so they want to make it uh, easier for you to get on over there and find yourself a great deal since it's a little bit harder to maneuver over in that area right now. And that means qualified buyers saving over $7,000 on new 2023 GMC Sierra 1500s. And uh, qualified buyers also have the ability to finance for 0.9% as they've got dozens of Sierras on the lot. And the inventory, the pricing, the financing, all uh, in in a row right now for you to set up and, and knock off the T over at Richard Carr uh, with those GMC Sierras in particular and military and first responders can save an additional $500. You can also save an additional $500 if you're military or first responder or just get a great deal in general uh, on the Buicks, a perfect combination of first-class luxury and value like no other SUV on the market right now. It's ranked the number one overall brand for new vehicle quality by J.D. Powers Buick and it offers amazing value right now. Save 5000 on 2023 
2023 full-size Buick Enclaves or 4,000 on 2023 midsize Buick Envisions. They also have their award-winning service department standing by to keep you on the road. You can give them a call, visit the website, or go see them in person. And right now, uh, they cannot be beat on tires, offering a price match guarantee on the uh, lowest price comparable tires in town. So uh, if you're in the need of some new rubber on your vehicle, well, get your car over to Richard Carr right now and check out those great deals. For 24 years in Central Texas, they've been the people that you can count on, built a reputation over that time as the place to go to for your automotive needs, run by proud Central Texans and proud Baylor Bears. Log on to richardcar.com today. Call now or go see them now off Highway 6 at the Imperial Exit. Pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick'em, Bears. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at Alliance BankTexas.com. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be a part of the Waco community. We're a small family business right here in Central Texas, and our goal is to bring down the cost of health care while maintaining high quality. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important, and unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. That's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through the difficult time. We offer premium MRIs just like a hospital with state-of-the-art technology and specialists, but you'll pay less. Sometimes thousands of dollars less, whether you're using insurance or not. At Ideal MRI, we accept most insurance and there are no hidden costs. Even offering financing if that's needed, everything included in the price, and you'll not get something as a surprise in the mail later on. If you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. They'll know. You can schedule an appointment safely from home online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or give us a call, 833-IDEAL-MRI, IdealMRI. It was broad daylight. I stepped into a gas station for five minutes to grab a snack, and just like that, my car was broken into. They made out like a bandit. My laptop, my phone, everything. I called my agent to see what could be done, and he restored my faith in humanity. My claim was processed so quickly, and I was able to recover my losses. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. See all the things they can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. 
segment with former Baylor wide receiver and Baylor sideline analyst Ricky Thompson is sponsored by Alliance Bank Central Texas, where customers have confidence that their financial needs are in good hands with two locations in Waco, on Bosque Boulevard and on Archway Drive off Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. Ricky Thompson, former Baylor receiver, Baylor sideline reporter with us. Iowa State on Saturday at 2.30 and homecoming. Ricky, thanks for your time. So we had J.J. on Monday. Your thoughts about what they did with the passing game, the short passing game becoming the running game? Well, I I guess it was no surprise. They pretty much told us what they were going to do without telling us what they were going to do. And, you know, he was talking about (laughs) run the ball by throwing it, and I think that's what they did. And, uh, JJ and I were talking. I don't know what nine, ten minutes to go in the second quarter before running back got a carry. I don't think any of us would have expected that. It was pretty effective, I thought. And I don't know, guys. I thought Cincinnati's front was really good. I thought their outside guys at corner were maybe a little suspect, but uh, their their defensive front was really good, right up there with any that we played this year. So. I think it was the right decision. I think they opened it up. I like the the passing scheme that they used. I thought it was different than what we've seen before and and pretty effective. It just man, it's really hard to change like that mid season, but I thought from that perspective they did a good job of it. Ricky, how much do you take will stick with this offense and how much of it maybe is now kind of a week to week game plan of, of of what they do? I don't really know. If I'm guessing, it's week to week. I think it depends on who they're playing, how they play the run, how good they are at it. I think they still want to run the ball. And I think any offense, even the spread, wants to run the ball. I think you need to to be real successful. So I think they'll continue to try that. I think this, if nothing else, it's given Iowa State something that they've got to be aware of. They've got to work on it this week. They've got to spend time on it. And right now, they don't know what we're going to do. And that's an advantage. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do. But uh, I, I liked it. I thought Blake played very well again. I thought he had receivers making plays. Uh, Keytron finally goes downfield, makes some catches, uh, very contested type catches. And that's, man, that just really creates confidence for a quarterback that he can just let the ball go and you don't always have to be open. Just if you've got your guy and he's down there, sometimes quarterback just needs to throw it. And I think that's something Keytron uh, really gave him some confidence in. Uh, and uh, Josh Cameron, again, big-bodied guy that had a couple routes across the middle where he's running wide open. Blake did a good job of catching him. I did think Blake missed a couple of pretty easy throws where he would have had – even more, what was it, 316 or something like that? He could have had 350. But uh, he'll get those, and, and not bad to not be at your best and still throw for over 300. Yeah, and one or two of those, he might have had, you know, Keetron might have found the end zone. He might have had like 180, you know, in that game if, if Blake can connect on on one or two more throws in, in the middle of the field in particular. But, uh, Ricky, uh, just what was kind of the – the scene like uh, down there amidst a win like that for a team that has obviously been so starved to get one, just sort of the emotions being there in the midst of everything. Uh, what did you sense from from their confidence level, just their belief in, in how they fought in a, in a closely contested game like that? Well, you know what? I thought it, it, it wasn't so much vocal before the game, but I thought they came out 
played really hard right from the start. And I think a couple of games, maybe they didn't play as well or as hard as they could early. And that was the big difference to me. I just thought that they were in the game early, uh, physically and mentally, uh, played hard early, made some plays, uh, got up three to zip, uh, then came right back and scored to go back up again when Cincinnati went ahead seven to three. And then, of course, the fumble kickoff that made it 17 to seven, just like that. But uh, I thought they handled the crowd well. I thought they played well on the road. I think I mentioned to you guys last week that sometimes it's good to get on the road. You just, you get in a hotel and you're, you're in a different environment. And sometimes I really think there's a little less pressure when you're playing on the road. And I thought they performed well. It was a happy group of dudes after the game, I'll tell you that. Ricky, do you see them as more relaxed? And, and, and you got to be locked in, too, on the road. Do you see that from them, or is that getting a little bit, like, too picky? I, no, not really. I, I, I think maybe that would be a, a reasonable description. They've really only had two road games, and I think we've seen, although not the best teams they're going to play, that they've been pretty respectable on the road. Uh, didn't have a great start at UCF, but played as good a fourth quarter as you'll ever see. And then I thought Saturday, although it ended up pretty tight, I had a good feeling that they were going to win that game uh, even late when it started getting tight. So, yeah, I think sometimes you just see teams that are better on the road, and this may be one of them. But uh, this Saturday – we went back to last week and said coaches don't like must wins. I think that was a must win, and they got it. And this one's pretty close too. But I know last week they don't win. You go two and five, a bowl game most likely out. So I think that game put them in a good position. You beat uh, Iowa State this weekend. You're four and four, uh, three and two in the league. Pretty good shot at that bowl at that point. So this is a big one uh, Saturday at two thirty. Ricky, this is a very physical Iowa State team that has not been Baylor's calling card this year, although that is very much who they want to play. It is the, the DNA of Dave Aranda's philosophy. Uh, how much of a measuring stick on how much they might have improved that over the, the bye week and the Cincinnati prep week will this be? Uh, that, that's uh, an unknown, but I think I think it's a good question, and it? That's what Iowa State always is. They're a tough physical team. That's the way they always play. Uh, in the past, we've handled that really well. Uh, this year, not so much thus far. But uh, we'll see how that goes. It's at home, which should be an advantage. We just talked about the road and the way this team has played on the road. But uh, I, I think speed-wise, we've still got some positions we can take advantage of. Uh we're going to have to stop them from running the football, and we haven't stopped anybody yet. But I think that uh, that will be a point of concentration, and you can't get out physical. Now, Paul, I think you know, once once you start beating the other guys up, it kind of goes downhill from there. I think the further you get into a game, uh, the worse that gets. So you can't come out and let them just beat us up early. I think you're going to have to – do some things that take that away, whether that's outside to the receivers early like we did last week, going deep downfield, and uh, got to do something to try to slow the run down. Uh, I tell you, our, our outside guys, these freshmen and Chateau Reed on top of that, 
these corners are playing really good football. I'm telling you, they're really good. And I think they've got a chance before those guys are out here to be outstanding. But uh, the key to this game, again, is going to be up front defensively, trying to stop Iowa State from running the ball and for us somehow to be physical up front on the offensive side as well. Did you sense any extra physicality with the offensive line changes this week? Uh, the main streak that you know Dave Aranda talked about with Colton Price getting him to line up and then freeing up Clark Barrington to some extent. Was there anything noticeable from your point of view on, on those changes? Well, I didn't hear anybody scream because somebody twisted their arm or bit them when they were on the ground. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> now, now, we, we had some guys that uh, when I played that might do that, but <laughs> – uh, in all seriousness, I I thought there was there was improvement there. Uh, we didn't see any that I'm aware of. I don't think we had any procedure penalties during the game at all. Uh, I thought geez. that once. Excuse me. I said, "Geez, that that that's a that's a compliment yeah. right there." Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I remember some games when we had five, so uh, that's an improvement. I thought. When we finally handed it off and ran the football, that we did get some push, uh, had some pretty decent runs. Uh, I think it would have been a real test just to see how good they were if they would have tried to pound it early, which obviously they weren't going to do. But we'll know more this week. But just the fact that uh, I thought Blake had pretty good protection. I don't think it was a situation where he's running for his life most of the day that we've seen some. I thought that was better. So, uh, yeah, I thought there was some improvement there, and hopefully that'll carry forward. When those guys, when you've got five guys up front like that, and you start switching things around, those guys have to learn to play together. It's kind of like quarterback and receiver. They they really need to have a feel for what the guy next to them is going to do. And I think a full game of playing together like that will help some there. Paul last week, and really for many weeks, not only Paul but Craig, and, and I brought it up as far as the offensive line of just – look like they're cohesive, and, and, and also have a little bit of anger, and Dave Aranda mentioned that. Craig has been barking, and honestly, for a good reason, about the receivers not making 50-50 catches. You mentioned that with Keytrod. Man, just imagine if they would have done that about two or three times in a couple of the other losses. Well, they, they wouldn't have been losses, would they? Uh, it would have been completely different ball games. Go back to Utah. Uh, one or two of those catches downfield against Utah, mm-hmm. and to help stop saw you're out because we if you remember we we pumped it deep two or three times in that game somebody makes a play on those balls and you're up 13 to 6 late you might be up 16 6 or you may be up 20 to 6 and it's a big difference and again even when Sawyer was in what kind of confidence would that have added to him just to know if I throw it up it's 50 50 uh there's 75% 75% chance it's my guy that's going to get it. So that makes a huge difference. And uh, uh, you need it more than one game, but but that's a huge step. And I agree, you're sitting here, what, three and four now? Could very well be, what, five and two? Uh, four and three at worst case. So, yeah, that would have made a difference. At least it would give you a little room to breathe, but now you really – over these next couple of weeks with Iowa State, who will be a tough out. And then, of course, Houston that has the explosive ability with what they do. And we saw that a little bit against Texas. It ought to be interesting for what they can do. Ricky, thank you very much. We'll see you Saturday. Iowa State, Baylor at McLean Stadium. Ricky Thompson with us.
every Wednesday in the 4 o'clock hour on 365 Sports. We haven't really said much about it because we get straight into the week and, and look at the big pictures we can. But the Keytron Jackson catch, one of them was like with his body in the air, coming down with it, not only making the catch, but when the ball and his body hits the ground, it didn't like get jogged, uh, uh, dislodged. I, I That's what I thought you would see more often from him throughout the year. He made a catch like that against Texas State early, and I thought, oh, okay, like he's going to go up and get, get some balls. And then after that, it was just – he just wasn't there for weeks and weeks. Craig talked about it a lot. Like, you got to go up and get the ball. And then that was the, the first time that – you know, the third of him in the game, and he went up and did it, and he did it a couple more times. Now he has to do it against – uh, Iowa State. Iowa State has a quarterback named TJ Tampa. That if you don't know about him, uh, the dude is is legit. Like he is not. He's not going to let you go up and win many 50-50 balls. So if you can do it against a guy like TJ Tampa and that physical defense, keep doing it. Uh, but yeah, Keytron. That was a positive sign, especially given that they're they're down some wide receivers. Uh, some of them for the season now. Yeah, I mean, they, they won't have Hal Presley. Um, you know, that'll be impactful, but not to an extreme degree. Uh, you know, I. To be bluntly honest about it, they don't have a receiver that if they lost, like it's game over for them because mm-hmm. their passing game hasn't been impressive enough to, to be that way. They just don't have that kind of a star. But Keytron Jackson is a guy they thought could fill a role like that or, or blossom into a role like that. And maybe last week was a start. You just wish it would have started sooner um, but because he was – you know, having some balls taken away or batted away that, you know, if he gets a little bit stronger or has more of a, a mean streak to him, maybe, you know, they do beat Utah, for example. Um, so to see him go and make a tough catch early on last week, I feel like it set a tone right away of like, oh, wow, okay, well, he's making that catch, then shoot, let's go back to him. Or, hey, let's throw it some more. And it gave them some some uh, building blocks uh, early in the game to, you know, sort of uh, get that juice from and, and operate with. And so that was that was huge for them. Now, uh, do want to transition from that into more wide receiver news. And on the recruiting trail, that is that Texas, uh, who I – uh, no is uh, not everyone's favorite necessarily, but we do have some Longhorn fans, and, and obviously recruiting is a very interesting topic as always, but apparently the Longhorns just reeled in five-star wide receiver Ryan Wingo yep. uh, over his uh, in-state uh, uh, school of Missouri. So uh, you thought Missouri man, home state, bring it, you know, keep the keep the guys in the fold there in-state, you know, hey, look at Luther Burden and, you know, this and that, but uh, Texas with a huge recruiting win. Uh, I don't know if this was – you know, expected anytime soon. I haven't kept close tabs on his recruitment. You but can regardless, see that flipping a little bit. But regardless, yeah. he's uh, committed now. So a big five-star wide receiver commit for Texas in Ryan Wingo. So there you go with that. All yeah, right. and they, they, I think the Mizzou fans kind of thought, like, this is going to be a, a – uh, a corner turner, you know, if they can get like Ryan Wingo. Yeah, yeah, like they can get him. But, man, I mean, anytime Texas, and this is throughout, like, the good and the bad of, of their history, if they're in on one of the guys that you've signed, you're just sitting there waiting going, ah, crap. Yeah, it's like they're inviting uh, – they've got one of Baylor's top commits on a visit now that's uh, set up, and I remember Grayson, like – I asked him about Texas offering and how much of a threat that was, knowing full well the answer to that. I don't really need him to answer that for me, honestly. I've followed recruiting for 20 years, so I know that them offering's a threat. But um, he's like, well, so long as he doesn't go on a visit. Well, he's going on a visit. So, um, And it's their defensive lineman whose name escapes me, Alex. Uh, does anybody know? Okay, no. Yeah. Um, I forget his name off the top of my head. But, yeah, that'll be uh, interesting to, to track. And, yeah, they're, they're always going to be that school that, you're flattered if they offer a guy that you have, but it also makes you fear for 
being able to hold on to him unless you were Oklahoma, Michigan, Ohio, yeah. you know, those, those teams that are like eye to eye with them, which there's probably a, you know, 10 or 12 of those schools, uh, give or take. Um, but that, you know, certainly not most of the schools remaining in the big 12 and not, and not Baylor. They've won their battles, but, um, yeah, like Missouri just found out, you know, they're they're capable of, of, of swinging the big stick and recruiting. So Alex big Foster, who you talking about? Alex Foster, yeah, that's Defensive who I was Defensive end out of Greenville, Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, do I have time to, to touch this pack topic? Or yeah, yeah, do we do. yeah, we do because right. uh, we have Bob Bowlesby coming up in eight minutes here on 365 Sports. So basically they're still wading through the marsh on all of this uh, legal battle with uh, the Pac-12. Uh, you've got the two schools that are still, you know, basically the, the Pac-2 in Oregon State and Washington State, and then you've got the 10 others that are on their way out, and there's this big fight over who's going to control the assets, who's going to control the voting power for the conference moving forward. Oregon State and Washington State's argument is that, like, hey, y'all all left. Y'all basically surrendered your rights to be a part of the board any longer um, and that there was precedent set when uh, set when UCLA, uh, UCLA and USC left and they were no longer voting members of the Pac-12 board moving forward the other schools would argue that, that that's not we never proclaimed you know officially or you know um, withdrew our, our voting like they're arguing that they should still have voting power right and the the idea is is that they got 10 schools that are all leaving. Why would, if they had voting power, not just vote to dissolve everything and it's nice and clean and wash their hands and move on and sorry, see you later, you know, smack on the butt to Oregon State, Washington State, have a good life. Uh, obviously, that would be a death knell for Oregon State and Washington State to just have the pack dissolve and not get anything from it. So they're fighting it because they see on the other end of the rainbow, if it does fall their way, millions upon millions of dollars that could potentially be theirs, the Pac-12 network and you know all the bells and whistles that come with that. I still have a question about the network. Like I get you'd have studios, but I don't see how... Like I guess you'd sell that off because you don't have carriage. You don't have carriage, it. yeah. So like, so, nobody has to air that network, you know. And you can't just like, oh, it's the Big Twelve network now. Like that's not exactly how it works. So that that part of it's a question, but, but it would be assets that you could sell off and make money, I guess, or or whatever other options that you may have. Regardless, uh, that can be well decided at a later date. Nobody of the ten teams that left, like neither conference that they went into, or none of the three, said, hey, can we can we take those off your hands? Yeah, I mean, to, to our knowledge, yeah. I mean, they don't need to because they're going to be yeah. in conferences that have those. But, um, yeah, I mean, as far as what you'd get for that, um, that's still, um, I guess, a part of the equation. So they want all of those assets. And this is part of what the uh, legal battle has, has been over is, is whether that's legit or not and whether that all belongs to those two now or if it belongs to everybody and they can go split it however they see fit. So the next step in all this is they're still going uh, through uh, this entire process. But uh, Oregon State and Washington State filed a – Motion for preliminary injunction against the 10 outgoing schools. It was filed this morning in Whitman County, Washington Superior Court, and it is an order, uh, according to Yahoo, stipulating that they be the only voting members of the Pac-12 Board of Directors until a final judgment is rendered in the case. They had dozens of pages of documents uh, through discovery to support their claim that did show that USC and UCLA lost their voting privileges as soon as they announced that they were going. So precedent was therefore set is what you could argue. And in that case, if precedent was set there, then those 10 schools have vetoed their, their own voting rights, right, by declaring that they are leaving. And that's at the heart of, of this conversation and therefore would not be in control of all of these these goods that we're talking about here. So um, they said in their motion that they are fearful of uh, those 10 dissolving and outvoting them for uh, all of these, um, 
you know, millions of dollars in the assets that they have at their disposal. So this is basically cutting that off. And uh, for now, um, you know, it did go in and show some more of just kind of how the last days unfolded and, and some of that we already knew. And some of that was already, I think, in a previous Ross Dellinger article, like the, the final days and all of that. But um, it, it delves into that somewhat in here. But yeah, so they filed this motion and now the court case will continue to go on. Uh, but there was a text from Klyovkov as far as setting the precedent goes that um, when Oregon and Washington and Arizona, Arizona State and Utah, Colorado, or maybe not Colorado because they were first, but those other five, when they withdrew back in early August, Klyovkov had a text message uh, to a reporter that uh, said that the, bo- the, the board's now just four members. So he acknowledges that when they left, that there's they just left. four members. So yeah. he, oh, did he shoot himself in the foot again? Yeah. I can't believe it. No, no way. Uh, but yeah, so that that is in favor. Uh, you would think, or that that uh, goes in favor of uh, the the case for Washington State and Oregon State. So that'll continue on that court case. And uh, without an injunction, uh, the the governance, as Ross puts it, the league is still in limbo, um, and they will uh, continue mediation. And there's a court case set for November 14th. So. If no settlement, then there will be a hearing to determine voting rights and then who gets to decide where all of this goes. So that's that's ongoing, but uh, that was the latest development there from uh, from that fight. Man, I tell you what, it's going to be a hell of a, a documentary one day uh, from start to finish. And, in fact, part of that documentary would be the uh, George Klyovkov and Bob Bowlesby having their conversation back in 2021. Bob Bowlesby, former Big 12 commissioner, will join us next on 365 Sports. IdealMRI.com, Dr. Rob Maxey and his staff have done a great job in giving you, the customer, an opportunity to do a couple of different things that matter. Find out what is hurting you so much that might be your knee, your shoulder, your neck, your back. It could be something. And an MRI will help your doctor find out what it is, get the diagnosis, get the evidence, get the MRI, get the images in a portal that will be sent to you uh, and him, your doctor or she, and then you can then go from there. And on top of that, it's only going to cost you $497 or less every single time. An average MRI is $1,100. An ideal MRI is $497 or less. They have a great machine, a state-of-the-art technology MRI machine, the one that you want to be in. I've been in it four times. To figure it out, why is it shutting you down? Why can't you sleep? Why are you so uncomfortable? What is it, a muscle, a ligament, or something else? IdealMRI.com in the Central Texas Marketplace off I-35 in Waco. The right call can make all the difference on and off the field. I'm Mark Stewart with Bird Colgen Ford. When it's time for a new car, truck, or SUV, Bird Colgen Ford is the right call. Come check out our award-winning lineup of best-selling models in their class, like the Mustang, Explore, Expedition, F-150, and Super Duty. Make the right call for your next vehicle at Bird Colgen Ford. Bird Colgen Ford proudly supports Baylor Athletics. Sikkim Bears. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDIC see an equal housing lender. 
Amigo Custom Marketplace is your hometown grocery store with a full-service butcher shop and baker. Hi, this is David Smoke. The butcher shop can take your customized orders for seafood, pork, and poultry and custom cut your favorite steaks from bacon wrap fillets to T-bone to bone and ribeyes. Cut specifically the way you want. They have Norwegian salmon fillets, catfish fillets, sliced ham or turkey and lunch meat, variety of cheese available, and several options of sausage links. Fresh chicken breast or whole chickens, sliced bacon, pork chops, ground beef, marinated beef and chicken fajitas and always large briskets available plus fresh vegetables so the great product customer service and family tradition of the bauer family continues at waco custom marketplace open monday through saturday a full service butcher shop and bakery available waco custom marketplace 425 lake air drive in waco or waco custom marketplace.com It was broad daylight. I stepped into a gas station for five minutes to grab a snack, and just like that, my car was broken into. They made out like a bandit. My laptop, my phone, everything. I called my agent to see what could be done, and he restored my faith in humanity. My claim was processed so quickly, and I was able to recover my losses. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Some say a dog is man's best friend. But I tell you what, boys, you better think again. Cause there ain't nothing better than some cows, pigs, and turkeys, too. I love to cover them in sauce down in Rudy's Barbecue. Bring all your friends to Rudy's for some tasty oak smoke barbecue. Next in line. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. We have been fortunate in the past to have what was then Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby on this show many times during the times when things were pretty calm and then times when things were really uh, pretty uh, interesting, so to speak. And he is uh, nice enough to join us again here on 365 Sports with Paul Craig, and I'm David Smoke. So how have you enjoyed retirement, and or are you actually retired? Yeah, I'm actually retired. Uh, I think we'll probably stay in Dallas. We have two of our children, and more importantly, six of our grandchildren in, in town. And so we're likely going to be here. And uh, I consulted with the Big 12 for about six months, and we talked about extending it. But uh, I, actually, I kind of thought that it was time to cut the umbilical cord and, <laughs> and uh, move on. And so I've uh, I've done a little bit of uh, whatever I've wanted to. I've, I've uh, done a little bit of uh, expert testimony in a court case. Uh, I've uh, helped my son with his uh, uh, executive search business and his consulting business. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm doing about what I want to and, and uh, really uh, am a, I miss the people, but I'm not missing the issues. How often will Brett Yormark reach out to you or vice versa and your thoughts about at least what he's done since you stepped away? 
Well, we, we talk uh, fairly regularly. Um, I, I don't have any formal engagement. and I've, I've tried very uh, uh, intentionally to stay out of the way. But uh, he calls once in a while for uh, a little background information or to bounce things off me. Uh, we have we have dinner together once in a while, and uh, you know the, the uh, having having been through the the scramble that is uh, conference realignment, uh, he had to had to jump right in and hang on, and um, and I think he's he's done a good job of that. I, I think he you know he comes from a a different background than a lot of people in, in, uh, on campus and, and, uh, in conference offices, but, uh, he, uh, he knows about a lot about driving revenue and I think he's done a good job with that. And, and, uh, you know, innovation, I think is uh, generally speaking good. So, um, I, I think the first year and a half has, has gone just fine. I know that, you know, when the Texas know you bombshell happened, there's no way you foresaw what's probably, uh, you know, what's happened now with the Big 12 being at 16 teams and the, the teams from the pack going. But as it happened after you added the four teams, could you have imagined them getting to the, the pack and, and those four teams coming in? Because it, it didn't seem very likely to happen, you know, at one time. Well, I think the remarkable thing about the Pac-12 circumstance and and their ongoing uh, situation is how rapidly it happened. Uh, it it was it was kind of uh, in slow motion for for months on end, and then in a period of about forty eight hours, it seemed to all of the pieces uh, uh, shifted quickly, and the tectonic plates kind of. Uh, uh, erupted and and I think uh, that was what was really surprising is the the speed with which it all happened and you know it'll be interesting to see how it all works out these these larger alignments are uh, they have their own complexities you you lose a lot of traditional rivalries um, you you have a real difficulty in scheduling uh, you know with the big Ten having 18 uh, you know if they play nine games they're gonna have nine no plays and so you know, you end up with an illegitimate championship in a lot of ways, and so it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how how these new alignments work. But the um, you know the, the uh, I, I think the the four that have come to the Big Twelve were uh, probably leaving something, and they were going to something. And uh, I, I think um, having been in that situation previously. Uh, every one of the institutions in the Pac-12 has an obligation to their school to um, to make sure that they have contingency plans if the uh, if the need should arise. And and I think that's what uh, the four that ended up at the Big 12 they they saw that the the infrastructure was falling apart in the Pac-12, and and so they decided to take what was the best available opportunity. Bob, realignment is is no you know newcomer to the college athletics scene i mean there's been tons of it over the history of college football so it's it's part of the deal and part of the fabric in some ways but this latest these last couple of years what do you point to as the as the driving force and the amount of change that we've seen and and, and what's the conductor in your opinion in all of this uh well i i think the short answer is money but um you know there are a lot of uh there are a lot of byproducts from all this shifting and you know, it goes it goes back a long ways. I mean, the the ACC uh, appropriated some members from the the old Big East, and uh, uh, specifically uh, Boston College and, and Syracuse were 
um, were prominent members of the Big East, and and uh, they they moved, and and then Maryland decided to leave, and and Rutgers left, and you know that was really about uh, uh, the, in the case of Rutgers and Maryland, it was really about capturing cable households for the Big Ten network, and uh, and the same is true for uh, for UCLA and USC. That's that's all about uh, the Big Ten network being able to capture in-market fees for uh, the Los Angeles area, and uh, and it's it's extraordinarily valuable. But when you distribute it over the entire Big Ten, the, the impact, uh, you know, it'll be substantial, but it isn't uh, it isn't life changing for any of those institutions. I, I just the thing about the realignment that I uh, think first of is that. It's just kind of sad. I, I think that the the, uh, the sports ecosystem is better with Pac-12 in it, and uh, and we always had uh, five principal conferences that had uh, two or three that were traditionally at the top of the heap. We had uh, five or six that were always aspiring and, and getting there some of the time, and then we had some people in the in each of the leagues that were more than happy to be everybody's homecoming opponent and, and cash the checks that they got. And so, you know, there was, there was good competitive balance. There was good regional balance. And, uh, you know, I, I find most of it to be necessary, but uh, we'll see how it plays out in the longer term. With your time at Stanford and then what, with also what you just said, uh, if in fact the same circumstances that arose with the Pac-12, with what we saw with USC and UCLA, and eventually what happened, would that have made it more difficult for you to go and acquire teams from the Pac-12 to join the Big 12 if you were commissioner? Uh, well, you know that's hard to say. I, I think uh, you know each one of those situations uh, is different. You can't. Uh, you can't paint everybody's circumstance throughout the league with the same brush because some of them have better options than others. But the uh, the the fact is that you know everybody has an institutional obligation to to think first and foremost about their um, about their own school. And you know I I think uh, when Oregon and Washington were added to the Big Ten. Uh, they did what they thought was best for their school, despite the fact that uh, it left two two schools in their own states, Oregon State and Washington State, uh, in a in a dire circumstance, and they they still reside there right now. Uh, one of the things that's astonishing to me about uh, all of this uh, changing of conferences is that you know the University of California is the number one rated public university in the United States. And Stanford is the most uh, successful uh, athletic institution and obviously a high academic uh, in, in the history of, of college sports. And for the, those two universities to be afterthoughts in the, uh, in the changing landscape of, of uh, college athletics is, is really a testament to the fact that, that um, you know, university presidents uh, and um, and uh, others have gotten steamrolled a little bit by the by the media partners. Bob, when you um, watched the Pac-12 thing unfold, were you a little bit surprised that they didn't take any cues from what you guys went through? Well, we had conversations uh, uh, right after the OU Texas uh, mm-hmm. change was confirmed. 
we had some conversations with the Pac-12, and at that time, uh, USC and UCLA hadn't departed, and they didn't feel that that uh, there were there were any business relationships uh, that could arrange from a complete merger to you know some alliances. And uh, at, at that time, I, I would say we probably needed them more than they needed us. Um, fast forward uh, 18 months. And all of a sudden, um, we've stabilized, and uh, the Pac-12 is wobbly. And uh, they, lo and behold, they came back and, and inquired as to whether or not there was uh, some opportunity for uh, uh, a partnership there. And, and at that point, um, you know, we were in pretty good shape, and and didn't need the partnership as much as we may have uh, uh, 18 months or two years prior. So. You know, it's there's a there's there are shifting fortunes in all of this, and um, it's good that we were able to stabilize ourselves. And, and the the Big Twelve Conference uh, has, you know, had a had a uh, a history of of uh, some fairly stormy patches. <laughs> um, and you know, it, it's uh, I think stability was priority one when uh, OU and Texas. Uh, made the announcement, and um, and then I think we were able to get stable, and uh, we were we were in a situation with an even then an uncertain future, and uh, and so there were opportunities that presented themselves, and I think Brett did a good job of capitalizing on, on those opportunities. Bob, what was your first uh, like when you heard the news about Texas OU? That had to be like a bombshell, a blindside hit, whatever. What how, what was your day like, or night, or evening, or whatever? I don't remember the time. Well, I mean, did you sleep that night? Yeah, I always sleep, but uh, <laughs> I, some, I sometimes, I, you know, I, I say that I sleep like a baby. I wake up every two hours and cry, and so it's uh, uh, it. Uh, I don't I don't lose sleep very often, but uh, I sometimes. Uh, wake up early and begin worrying. And, uh, you know, frankly, that's one of the things I don't miss about uh, uh, in my retirement is I don't wake up with a hot fire in my lap every day. <laughs> and uh, relative to OU in Texas, uh, we were on our way back from uh, from an introductory trip to uh, Kansas to meet uh, Lance Leipold and his staff. Uh, and uh, so we, uh, while we were there uh, and we were, uh, it was, uh, Ed Stewart and uh, Tim Weiser and myself, we we decided we'd uh, go over and see Coach Self, and so we spent some time in his in his office. and And uh, when we landed on the way back, we found out that the the room it was SEC Media Day, and the rumor was uh, started by the Texas A and M folks that uh, that OU and Texas had indeed uh, been uh, exploring and had made the decision to to move. And uh, and at the same time, we learned that Bill Self had tested positive for COVID that afternoon. So we had all been exposed. So you know, it was a it was a wonderful couple of hours after we landed back in Dallas, trying to figure out what was going on. And it was a day and a half before I was able to get either athletic director or either either president to return a telephone call. So uh, yeah, it, there was some there was some frustration and and certainly surprise. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, there was, there was disappointment because of some of the people that were involved, but, uh, all you can do is move on and, uh, people make choices for their own reasons. And, 
we had to we had to go forward and make some choices on our own. Well, okay, so you mentioned that you don't have to wake up with a fire in your lap. And we hear about college football coaches that you wonder how much longer they'll stay in the game uh, because of NIL and transfer portal and so much to change. Uh, is that, you think, and also not trickle down, but trickle up to administrators of college athletics? Yeah, I, I think so. I don't, I don't think anybody's having a whole lot of fun right now. Um, the, uh, the, the absence of, of NCAA rules around NIL, um, it was, was a colossal mistake. And, uh, and you know, it, even if we had gotten sued again, it would have been, uh, it would have been better to have a stake in the ground and stated what we, what we stood for rather than, uh, leave the institutions with no guidance whatsoever. And so, you know, now we have a bunch of state laws that are, that are all very different. And, uh, we are in a situation where clearly NIL is being used for inducements to transfer and to initially enroll and, and the, legislation that uh, that the solutions group that I co-chaired uh, had forwarded uh, included prohibition of using it for for inducements to initially enroll or, or to transfer so you know it's a it's still the wild wild west out there and uh, to your question uh, yeah I, I don't think administrators are having a lot of fun I don't think coaches are having a lot of fun um, most people that I know in athletics would like to know what the rules are and they would like to know that somebody was uh, working every day to make sure everybody was adherent to those rules. And uh, I don't, I don't know that that's the case right now. And uh, so, but having said that, college athletics over a long period of time has had a, a remarkable ability to find its own equilibrium. And and I think uh, you know that things have calmed down a bit in the transfer portal. We're starting to get some windows uh, around the seasons. And, and at the end of seasons where the transfers can take place so that we don't have quite so much of people just walking off the field and, and deciding to go into the transfer portal. Uh, so it, that's already begun to calm down a little bit. And, and it's easy to forget that there were only five sports that had the transfer residence requirement anyway. All the other sports, uh, you could transfer whenever you wanted to as many times as you wanted to. Um, we, we just worked hard to protect the ones where we – spent a lot of money in recruiting and where we had a lot of fan interest. So, you know, this isn't an entirely new environment. And relative to NIL, uh, you know, I, I don't think that uh, you're going to see uh, boosters uh, over and over and over again making large contributions to collectives that are that are in, end up going to be passed on to the, to the kids. And, you know, they're not getting any donation credit from the universities uh, in, in that circumstance because they aren't. They aren't 5013C3 uh, organizations. So, you know, it, it's a, I, I just think that uh, it's likely to evolve. I think the, the pendulum will swing back towards the middle at some point in time. And, and you know, whether we get uh, any sort of legislative assistance at the state level or the federal level remains to be seen. But uh, the NCAA is going to have to the membership is going to have to get engaged in, in deciding what it wants NIL and the transfer portal to look like. And uh, uh, somebody's going to have to lead on those issues. Is there something professionally freeing about, because you, in, being a conference commissioner is a job that not many people have. And it is something that to do it well, you have to make a lot of people 
not happy, but at least content all at once. And they have to, you know, you said fires in your lap. There's always little things or, you know, this one's mad. This one's mad Not everybody. If everybody's content, you're doing your job. All right. But when Texas know you left and you had to just go straight ahead and you didn't have to worry about making Texas know you happy anymore. You just had to be on the side of the eight teams that were still left. How, Freeing was that, even though it was difficult to know that at least now I don't have to worry about making them happy. Well, I, th- I think we probably would have added added new members in 2016 had it not been for Texas and OU voting against them. And uh, you know they they were treated uh, like 800 uh, pound gorillas uh, most of the the life of the Big 12, including the 10 years I was there. So you know yeah, that's. Uh, uh, you know they they have a uh, a national presence and and uh, they they've earned it and uh, so you know it's no different than the way Michigan and Ohio State are treated in the Big Ten or at least when when I was there at, at the University of Iowa uh, USC and UCLA used to receive what was called the the Southern California premium because of the media markets that they resided in so you know those uh, those uh, People that are the conference bell cows uh, are are frequently treated slightly different than than the rest of the people. Um, in the case of the Big Twelve, the Longhorn Network certainly was a a uh, an issue that uh, required some thoughtful uh, workarounds in order to to make it work. And uh, but I, I think generally speaking, we we got along well. I mean, when I inter- interviewed for the job, I. I told uh, the three presidents that I was meeting with that the Big 12 looked to me like a, a like rats leaving a sinking ship, and uh, of course that was right after uh, Missouri and Texas A&M and Colorado and Nebraska had all left in two consecutive years, and uh, uh, you know it t- it took some convincing to get me to leave Stanford uh, and uh, and come to the Big 12, but. Uh, uh, one of the things I had to do was unify the group, and uh, we we did that for a period of time. And uh, ultimately, uh, some decided to jump ship, and we went out and did the best we could to bring in high-quality institutions and high-quality athletics programs. And, and I think Brett has continued to do that. Bob, to be the commissioner when all of a sudden you lose two massive logos like Texas and Oklahoma, I'm sure is something that you weren't like thrilled to be a part of, but what is your legacy? It, will it be how you reacted to that and how quickly the big 12 survived, which they've done before, but how quickly that came about with the four new schools? Well, it's, it's not for me to decide what my legacy is. I, I just, uh, uh, I, I worked on campus for 30 years. I, I know how athletic directors think. I know how presidents think. And um, that prepared me well to to try and be uh, at the nexus of all of those institutions. And you realize that uh, everybody's uh, needs are not the same. Uh, everybody is not uh, identically situated, and uh, some have uh, uh, you know small towns and small airports, and some have big cities and big airports and some are easy to recruit to and some are hard to recruit to some have big endowments and some don't have much of any endowments um you know as much as we're all part of a conference 
uh, the budgets raise range from 250 million to 80 million. And so when you say, well, we're, you know, we're in the A5 and we're a really homogenous group. Well, you know, there's, there's a lot of difference between spending 250 million a year and spending 80 million a year. And, uh, you, you do things differently and, and you succeed in different ways. And so, you know, I, I think that's what you do as a commissioner is you, you have to communicate directly with individual institutions and, you know, Baylor is a good example. Uh, when, when the university and the community went through the, the, uh, um, the sexual assault uh, allegations and, and all the things that, that uh, were derivative to that, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in Waco and I spent a lot of time with university leadership and with, with outside advisors and, um, you know, not, none of us signed up for it, but you, you deal with it. And the same is true with OU in Texas. I, it, it wasn't something that I ever aspired to, but I was in the chair and, and, uh, along with uh, a very good committed staff, we worked our way through it, but, uh, you know, there's there's no manual for any of this, and and so um, the years of experience on campus uh, served me well, and um, and you know I think I generally have a a, a temperament that is uh, not inclined to to um, knee jerk reactions, and uh, that probably served me well as well. But it's a uh, um, no, none of us none of us wish for uh, for tragedy or, or uh, surprises or um, cata- catastrophic things happening, but uh, they do occur and you have to, you have to deal with them. Bob, do you have time for another question or two? If you mind? Sure. The, uh, the, the immediate aftermath of what occurred, as you mentioned, during 2016, uh, when we were at Big 12 Media Days, we had you on that week, but one of the other things is that this, the conference voted to take away some revenue or not give revenue to Baylor. Uh, was that just like going in for the kill, even though there were problems? In the SEC or some other conferences, at least like everyone feels like the weakest link is their strongest link, that they have to make sure they're protected. Was that something that was necessary even back then? Oh, I don't know that I'd, I'd really put it in a, in a financial context. Uh, it was... Um, you know, there, there was a fine involved and there was a withholding of money involved. Um, Baylor has paid the fine and, and, uh, and the money has been returned and it was about $12 million. As I recall, I haven't looked at the documents for a while, but, um, you know, the, uh, uh, when, when, uh, Dr. Livingstone came in, um, you know, she wasn't coming into, a uh, any, any bed of roses. And, uh, and the same is true with, with Matt rule. And, um, you know, those are, those are very difficult times. And, uh, Mac Rhodes was a steady hand. He worked through a lot of extraordinarily difficult things that also had no manual attached to it. And, and I think Baylor university did a, did an excellent job of, uh, of uh, getting outside consultants and outside legal advice and, and uh, putting the right people in place and, and working on uh, the culture that they wanted to have on, on campus and, uh, and in, their, in the sports programs. And so, um, you know, I, we, 
I think the the uh, the most telling aspect of that is that uh, all of the funds were returned uh, 18 months before they were scheduled to be returned because the presidents and chancellors believed that Baylor had done an exceptional job of uh, of doing what they said they were going to do, and that that is um, make their their culture a uh, a, uh, a state-of-the-art uh, situation. And so, you know, that, that was just one thing that uh, we all dealt with at the time. But, you know, when, when one member of the conference has difficulty, uh, everybody shares the, shares the angst in some ways. Bob, the final thing, and you mentioned your grandkids and also the family. Uh, you go hunting and fishing. That's kind of your getaway. I talked to Bob Berta for a little bit earlier this morning. How much of that is your peace and quiet? Oh, uh, I don't know. You know, it's, uh, I, uh, I really like easy golf courses and I, <laughs> I like, uh, I, I like places where, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm a, fa- a fan of fishing, but I'm a fan of catching. And so, um, you know, and, and when it comes to, to bird hunting, uh, you know, I, I like slow flying birds that are easy to hit. And so, you know, I, I do things that don't frustrate me for, uh, for, uh, my, uh, leisure time. And, uh, and then I, I really enjoy, uh, uh, my young grandkids. They're, they're, uh, I have 10 of them and they're age 14 down to, uh, age two. And, uh, they're, they go two, three, three, four, four, six, eight, and then some older ones. And so, you know, I just, uh, I am really ha- having the opportunity to do things that you really don't have a chance to do as an athletic director or as a commissioner. I, I was a hundred nights a year in a hotel for 30 years and, uh, I was always very actively involved in the NCAA and I missed a lot of family things. I, I missed a lot of, uh, um, my kids athletic events and never, never really had a chance to coach my kids cause I never could commit to, um, being there every time. And so uh, I, I really am having uh, some fun uh, doing things that uh, that I really was never able to do when I was when I was working. So um, I guess that's what retirement's supposed to be. Thank you, Bob. We appreciate your time. Always did when you were running the commissioner's job at the, at the Big Twelve, and and maybe again come back with us again. We appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me on, Bob Bowlesby, former Big Twelve commissioner, with us on three sixty five Sports and. Uh, now just enjoying life uh, after, like he said, he'd wake up. He never lost sleep, but that doesn't mean he always slept through the night. With Can you imagine with all of that on your plate? And and then uh, multiple times, the Big 12 uh, going through some, uh, oh, my God, what's next? And then that one was the mother load back in July of 2021. We appreciate his time. Yeah, good to hear uh, from Bob Bowlesby. And um, I think that, you know, it was a case of uh, history changing because had he just left on his own terms without anything ever really you know, changing drastically, he'd probably be remembered one way, but because things did change the way that they did, I think he's remembered in an entirely different way for the better, right, yep. for, uh, for some Big 12 fans out there and obviously has a huge role in a, in a big chapter in whatever book's written about that conference moving forward. Well, I know one thing. He reacted the right way because it got it done, and also – uh, it doesn't mean that all of his decisions were one that every fan base or most of the fan bases liked. We're now joined by Gabe Eichert, former All-American at Oklahoma, Sirius XM Radio, Big 12 today, and he also has a great podcast, joins us. Gabe, thanks for your time. I know you just wrapped up being on the air yourself. Uh, Oklahoma, 
the win against Texas has been now a few weeks back, and then, of course, they had the finally they survived at the end against UCF. What and who are they now, Texas or what we saw against UCF? You know, they're both, Smokey, and appreciate you boys having me on, but I think the last two games we've seen from the Sooners – it's a perfect example of the margins, right, in college football and with this team, right? If you show up, you play well, you take care of the football, you don't give up good, uh, big chunk plays on defense, you run it efficiently, you throw it efficiently, then Oklahoma's a really talented team that's going to gonna win a lot of games. But in the UCF game, while they were very good on 95% of their plays that they played on defense, they gave up huge catastrophic plays to UCS offense. And you had some special teams issues, right? You missed two field goals in that game. Uh, there, I would say the biggest issue in the UCF game for OU was a lack of complementary football, meaning the defense – started the game red hot four straight three and out OU forced against that UCF offense and all they had to show was from it was a seven to nothing lead right the the offense did not capitalize when the defense was playing really really well now some encouraging things from the UCF game is when the offense had to put drives together right when they were down in the fourth quarter they went and scored touchdowns and Dylan Gabriel had a huge part in that. The run game got going a little bit. But, yeah, I think Oklahoma is a team that is capable of beating anyone in the country on their best day. And if they don't and if they don't play well, they're capable of losing to dang near everyone here in the Big 12 Conference. Like, that's just the kind of team that they have this season. But – so far, so good for the Sooners. Seven and zero feels pretty dang good. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean it, it's as good as it gets, especially with the win against Texas. Paul, Gabe, were you surprised uh, that they were not able to run uh, as much at will on on UCF, especially late in that game, considering UCF's massive struggles stopping the run this year? Yeah, it, I was not. I was not surprised. I was maybe more disappointed than anything. I was hopeful that OU's issue when it comes to running the football, they have actually run it efficiently. I don't know if you guys are big analytics guys, but there's a there's a metric out there that is that that measures success rate when you're running the football. And OU, according to Bill Conley's SP Plus stats, they've got a 50% success rate running the football, which, which has them checking in as the 22nd best rushing team in the country. Right? Which is good, right? You're a top 25 rushing team in the country. The issue they have, guys, is there are seemingly no explosive runs for Oklahoma. Right? You think about a run game, like you get three, you get four, you get five, you get 40. OU has very few of those chunk runs. And in fact, going back to the analytics thing, 
while they're 22nd in rushing success rate, they are 119th in the country in rushing marginal explosiveness. Basically, how depending on situation, how are you producing explosive runs? It's been an issue. It continues to be an issue for Oklahoma. So they've run it okay. They just haven't produced large, you know, momentum shifting plays with their running game. And they're continuing to search for ways to find that. I think it's been a combination of the offensive line. And also they just have not had, they have not had dynamic playmaking at the running back position. They've had solid play, but they haven't had anyone that has done a really good job of making free hitters miss, you know, juking a guy, spinning out of things. They have not had a guy emerge and show that he's capable of that. So the running game, it's not awful. Should it have been better against UCF? I I absolutely, absolutely believe it should. But what they need to find is more explosive runs. Gabe, what were your thoughts on the Knights and just seeing them up close? Uh, obviously, it's been a, a big transition and, and a mighty struggle for them so far. And, and they had, you know, possibly this colossal win right there on their fingertips. But alas, they, they wait for that first Big 12 win. What, what do you like and what do you not like right now about the state of uh, Gus Malzahn's team? Well, I am I'm a fan of Gus Malzahn. Uh, going back back in the day, guys, I'm getting old. Uh, Gus Malzahn recruited me when he was the offensive coordinator at Tulsa. Oof. He called me in back in 08 and Charles Clay, who I ended up being teammates with in Buffalo, actually. He said Charles Clay just caught a ton of balls you know, throughout his career at Tulsa. He said, if you come to Tulsa, uh, you'll catch more passes than any other tight end in the country. And I said, damn, that's <laughs> that sounds pretty good, Coach. Yeah. He left for Auburn and took the OC <laughs> job like five days after that conversation. <laughs> but he he's doing a good job. He's a creative mind. I think he's he's assembled a good staff. Um, they've gotten the school to invest in the program. They're doing a lot of good things on the NIL side of things. But as far as their team, it's a good group. It's a good group. I think the I think the offense is is a little more talented than the defense. I, th- I was impressed with John Rice Plumley and the way he played, even though he's clearly still not 100%. To me, uh, I thought he I thought he played a, a really nice game. They've got they've got some guys at the skill spots. I think RJ Harvey's one of the best backs in the Big 12, and, and I think Javon Baker is. I mean, he's one of the most talented wide receivers I've seen this season in the Big 12, and he had a big day against the Sooners. But the the defense for UCF, I think the strength of the defense is in the secondary. So when they play teams that, you know, really run it efficiently, that have good offensive line, I don't think there's a bunch of, you know, top-end talent along the defensive front there for the Knights. So – I think it's going to be up and down for them. You know, they have not won a conference game so far. I I would bet they're going to win one against Cincinnati or Houston. They still have both those teams left on the schedule. 
but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to take some time, right. For them to build at the line of scrimmage and for guess miles on uh, to continue to develop that program. They are just, a, they're, they're playing a, they're just in playing a new kind of grind now in the big 12. Uh, they're playing against a bunch of teams that have been, you know, recruiting to the big 12 when they haven't had that ability. And I've got faith in Malzahn. If he stays there long enough to, to build that thing up, they're always going to have speed at the skill positions being down there in the state of Florida. But what they need is better guys at the line of scrimmage. And then they got to have, they got to continue to recruit, recruit and have a difference making player at the quarterback spot, in my opinion. Yeah, they need more gay bikers on the offensive line. I I don't know their offensive line. Is it, it's not a bad group, right? Uh, I mean, it's it's not a bad group. Now they're a little undersized at a couple spots, especially at center. But overall, you know, they they battle. They're good, but you're th- there's no doubt they need to get they need to get deeper along the offensive line. They've had some injuries. They've had to plug some guys in. There's a bit of a drop-off there, and I think that'll come right now that they are recruiting to a Power 5 conference. I think that'll come, and I would assume they'll attack the transfer portal as well. But, yeah, they are – they're having a rough it in year one, and that's, that's what I expected from them. Uh, going back and looking, I know a lot of people thought that they were going to have the best chance of any, uh, any of the newcomers – this year, uh, I picked UCF to go five and seven before the season. So I, I think that's where they end up landing. So I, I think I think there's some positive things to take away from how they've played in this first season in the Big Twelve. But there's there's undoubtedly work to be done there. Malik Murphy starts this week for Texas, Gabe. Uh, oh boy! Yeah, and look, there is you know plenty. If you're a Texas fan, there's plenty of reason to be excited to see him play a, a full game, given the talent that he has. But he has not played against someone in another jersey for very long in any game. What is the biggest challenge for Steve Sarkeesian to make sure that Malik Murphy does not get? Uh, does not see ghosts for the rest of his time as the Texas quarterback because those first couple starts sometimes can make or break guys. Right. And if, if you saw him go in in the Houston game, I mean, the guy was – he was jacked up, right? You could tell the blood was pumping. He was he was feeling it a little bit. And I, I think the, the biggest challenge for Malik Murphy is just going out there – just doing your job, right? You don't have to do any more than that, right? You don't have to go out there and try to be Quinn Ewers. You have to go out there, trust your preparation, and do your job, right? And you got to do that knowing everyone in the country is watching to see if you're any good or not. I do think it's funny. <laughs> I've seen a lot of Texas fans. They're like, he was awesome in the spring game. We're not worried at all. It's like, it's the damn spring game. What are you talking about? It doesn't. It does not matter, right? It is not the same as going and playing those grown men from BYU. But, and, and this is something that the leaders in that locker room need to get across to Malik Murphy. It's, it's not all about him, right? It, football is the ultimate team game, right? He doesn't need to do 
any more than what he's supposed to do out there. And it's up to those guys around him, the guys on that offense. they got a lot of experience and a lot of talent on that offense. It's up to everyone else on that team to play well and to make Malik Murphy's life easy on Saturday. Right, That wide receiver core, step up. That offensive line, who's been a little up and down, in my opinion. Make life easy on Malik Murphy. Now, I am interested to see how much Steve Sarkeesian puts on his plate when it comes to the RPO stuff. Because despite some of Quinn Ewers' flaws, he was pretty efficient in knowing, hey, when to hand the run off, when to take the RPO stuff on the outside, when to pull the run out of the out of the running back's belly, throw the slant in behind the linebackers. He was he was a good decision maker for the most part in those situations. And that's a big part of what Texas wants to do offensively. How efficiently does Malik Murphy operate in those situations? I think that's that's definitely something I'm interested in seeing. And I, I think he's going to be fine because I think they're just going to hand the ball to Jonathan Brooks and C.J. Baxter a lot. BYU is not good at stopping the run. They're also not good at running the football. So uh, I think that Texas is going to – they're going to have a big talent advantage in that game. I don't think Malik Murphy is going to have to do anything superhuman. It's not a game. I think he's going to have to win – you know, throwing the ball all over the yard. I think they're going to be able to run it really efficiently and, and lean on that run game. But, yeah, I am very, very intrigued to watch Malik Murphy on Saturday. And it seems like a lot of people would be even more intrigued if he struggles. <laughs> and then uh, people want to see what Steve Sarkeesian would do if he does struggle. But not, I think he's going to be just fine. Gabe, I mean, it sure seems like the odds favor uh, a rematch being the collision course for the Big 12 title game, but there are some interesting contenders outside of those those top two that will soon be leaving. Uh, which intrigues you more? What's going on in Ames? What's going on in Manhattan with the quarterback situation and how that's provided a spark? Or what's going on in Stillwater with uh, the Cowboys and Mike Gundy? Man, it is interesting. You are You are correct. It, it is crazy when you think about what we were saying about Iowa State after they lost to Ohio and then what we were saying about Oklahoma State after they got, I mean, played off their own field against South Alabama just about a, you know, a little over a month ago. Both teams are, are, are playing some really good football. So I, I think out of all the teams right now, because there's definitely a conversation going on about, okay, who is the third best team in the Big 12? If if I had to pick it right now, and I know that it's it's silly because K-State just played in Stillwater a couple weeks ago and went and lost, mm-hmm. but I still think K-State's the third best team in the Big 12. And I think that the two-quarterback system, while you know we've been told forever that if you've got two, you don't have one, it's it's working pretty dang well for Chris Kleiman uh, there in the Wildcats. And I've been impressed with the way that Will Howard has handled it. I've been impressed with what I've seen from Avery Johnson. That is a that is a talented young QB that the Wildcats have. But I'm also impressed just how the team has handled it. 
I, I think that both of those guys are very well liked in that locker room, and, and that has resulted in kind of this jolt of energy for that program. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what it looks like for the, the rest of the way for Kansas State. But you know, they still have Texas on the schedule, and then they get Iowa State, the last game of the season. And who knows? I mean, that could be that could be a game that has massive implications. Uh, Oklahoma State is interesting, though, because – and this is something I was talking about on Big 12 today, earlier today, guys. You look across the country right now, and you start having a conversation – you start a conversation about non-quarterbacks that could be in the Heisman Trophy picture. And the first two running backs that I think are in the conversation are Jonathan Brooks at Texas and Ollie Gordon at Oklahoma State. Ollie Gordon has been an absolute monster for Oklahoma State, and he's doing it behind, I believe, a very average offensive line for the Cowboys. Alan Bowman's making really good decisions with the football. His accuracy's been really good. But but you look at Ollie Gordon, what, 282 and four touchdowns mm-hmm. against West Virginia last week? I mean, he has just been an absolute monster for the Cowboys. So I've been I've been really impressed with them. I just I still have some question marks about Oklahoma State's defense and just kind of where they're at in that new system under Brian Nardo. Gabe, as always, appreciate your time and the knowledge, insight, experience, man. Have a great day. Thanks for your time. Hey, you guys down there in Waco, boys. It'll all be okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out week to week if it will be. Thank you, buddy. Gabe Eichert from Big 12 Network, Sirius XM, former All-American at Oklahoma. This is 365 Sports. Everybody probably at some point has to battle the weight issue. You get a little lazy, you start to eat too much, and you're not working out. Your metabolism is not good, and so you look for a way, the easy way, to be able to continue to be undisciplined with your diet or what you do with exercise, and there are options. There is one way that works every time because it's methodically taking care of working out, losing weight along with inches, and that feeling of when you put a pair of pants on and all of a sudden they're a little more loose, that is, that's a great feeling. You just feel better. Walk through the front door at Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness Ask for help, the personal trainers from Christy London to Randall Corley to Nathan Roach. And then on top of that, they have all the equipment you can imagine from weights to machines, classes galore every single day. But you have to walk through the front door. They will help you once you do. The best way, the most methodical way, and the best way to not just lose inches and weight, but also sustain the success of all the hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness on Lakeshore Drive in Waco. One size fits all. That may be all right for an adjustable belt or cheap sunglasses, but when it comes to your financial needs, no one wants a one size fits all strategy. Cam Heathcott, your Edward Jones financial advisor, knows that his most important goals are yours. That's why we take the time to understand your needs, knowing you. That's how Edward Jones makes sense of investing. Cam Heathcott in Conroe at 936-756-7717. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
CFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge checking and savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. Petty Clinic Men's Healthcare in Woodway is now proud to offer you men an exceptional weight management body sculpting product called semaglutide, also known as Ozempic or Wegovy. Semaglutide is an FDA-approved weight management medication. Once-a-week injections of this powerful medication offers an average body fat weight loss of 20% within the first year of treatment. In addition to body sculpting, semaglutide also normalizes blood sugars and has the clinical research proof of reducing blood pressure, cholesterol, stroke, and heart attack risk. If you're like most men and you have stubborn fat that will just not respond to typical diets and exercise, then help us finally here. Semaglutide, affordable, highly effective. Google search Petty Clinic Waco and reach out to the Petty Clinic team today for a free consultation with Dr. Petty to see if semaglutide is right for you. Go to PettyClinicLowT.com. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 5 o'clock hour is brought to you by Edward Jones and financial advisor Cam Heathcott. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Now here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Action Network HQ, Brett McMurphy joins us on 365 Sports. has been a go-to for us through uh, the last several years, and we appreciated Mandarin realignment. He was money, too. He joins us today on 365 Sports. Brett, are, uh, this Michigan and the allegations and the stories that are coming out, we see things in college athletics where, like, oh, my God, we clutched the pearls. We Like, this is the worst thing ever. In the end, do you have any idea how this might end up as far as what it <clears throat> may do to Michigan? You know, I don't. I, you know, I know there's, there's so much stuff out there now. And look, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. They were going to extreme measures to steal signals, uh, be able to track signals, all that stuff. Okay? But when we cut through all that, uh, you know, you have some people on one side, if they hate Mitch, give them the death penalty. They should be banned from the playoffs. Well, guess what? That ain't going to happen. The Big Ten is not going to let their cash cow be ruled ineligible because some kids, some coach is out there stealing play. So that ain't going to happen. Sorry, 
Michigan hater. Um, but it it is a rule that was broken. But we know, you know how quickly the NCA doesn't move. They move as quick as a glacier. So I really think, look, David, I really think that nothing's going to happen this year to, that will impact this year's team as far as any on-the-field penalties. And as quickly as the NCA doesn't move, you know, I've said this before, I think by the time the NCA rules on this, Harbaugh will be in his second season coaching the Bears. Uh, I don't think anything's going to happen. Um, you know, it's yes, it's yes, it's bad. But again, when you get down to it, what the rules that were broken, there really aren't even penalties for that. Um, and, and one person brought up a good point. You know, the WikiLeaks that happened with uh, Wake Forest, where you had a guy literally stealing, you know, playbooks and plays. And I mean, that, that was, I think, probably worse than this. Um, because basically everybody steals signs, maybe not to this extreme, or goes to this level of espionage and all this other uh, stuff, which makes great content for you guys and everybody else. But, yeah, bottom line is I, I don't think anything happens to him this year. I think I think I'm surprised Harbaugh's lasted this long at Michigan. I always thought he would go back to the NFL. Now he's got a perfect shot. And, look, if Michigan was lacking motivation, boy, they got it now. I mean, there's – that's against the world. You know, they're going to take all this. And, you know, that's why Vegas right now has them the favorite to win the, the national title. Yeah, well, I mean, what could be better for him? I mean, again, nothing's going to happen to him. Like, if you say, well, this is against the rules, well, A, what's the NCAA going to do to him? He could Pete Carroll his way into the NFL uh, and and be with the Bears or, or, or the Raiders or somebody, but probably the Bears. And then, um, you know, Michigan gets hit a couple years later. And then by then, they probably already made rule changes about, you know, radios and helmets and things <laughs> like that that yeah. take sign stealing out of it, right? Yeah, they, you know, we're going to vacate some wins. We're going to take a banner down, whatever. I mean, you know, look, everyone wants to get outraged. Everybody wants, you know, somebody to, you know, get their head chopped off. But, uh, you know, it, I, I go back to point number one. It's the NCAA. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Brett McMurphy with us, Action HQ, with us on Sikkim 365 Radio, 365 Sports. What are your thoughts about the end game with Oregon State, Washington State. There was news that kind of came down a little bit about today, and God knows who has a vote, who doesn't have a vote, what's going to happen. Do you have at least the inside sources that you have any idea how that ends? I'm asking you about a couple of endings that we don't know about. Yeah, you know, look, I I don't know how this is going to end, and I've talked to people that are involved with college football playoff about going forward with the the 12-team model. Um, next year, and they don't know. They're, they're they are waiting to see how this thing is resolved, and nobody knows 100% how it will be resolved. And obviously, Oregon State and Washington State believe that they deserve a an automatic their conference, whatever that is, deserves an automatic bid for the college football playoff in 2024 and 2025. The last two years of this current 12-year deal. Obviously, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, has come out publicly and said, look, you know, we've had conferences and now we're basically down to four, so we need to revisit this. The fact that Sankey's out ahead of this and he's very public with it, I don't think they're going to get that, you know, power um, automatic designation that they so dearly want. And it's really, it's not even 
it's not really even having that automatic because it's going to go by conference champs. They'll just lop one of the conference champs off and add in a large bid. It's not the it's not the conference champ designation. It's the money part. Surprise, surprise. We're talking about money in college athletics. The power conferences right now get the biggest pieces of the pie of the college football playoff revenue, and the group of five get a minuscule amount. In fact, that's what today Army announced officially they're going to going to the American. Why are they going to the American? Because they will make more money as a member of the American conference from the college football playoff, whether they go 12-0 and or 0-12, than they made as an independent from the college football playoff. They made – I don't – this is a couple of years ago. I don't know if it's up to date or not, so I apologize. But basically, they made like 100000 200000 from the college football playoff. You've got teams making millions of dollars from the college football playoff. Just the revenue from the, the media rights deal. That is not teams that go to the playoff. This is just basically being in a Power 5 conference. Oh, here's your check. Um, have a great day. So, um, ultimately, money's going to determine what happens with them. You know, it gets tricky because, you know, they'd like to kind of merge with the Mountain West. But they're, be very honest, they're not thrilled with, uh, you know, probably half of the Mountain West. You can figure out which half. Um, and would love to take half of them. But then the, the have-nots, if you will, the Mountain West, they're not going to vote to allow – to have to go to another conference unless, hey, you want to go, then, okay, you're going to pay these huge exit fees. And then the teams that are want to join a pack are like, wait, we don't want to, we don't want to pay an exit fee. We'll have the, we'll have the Oregon State and Washington State come join us. So yeah, it's, it's tricky. It depends on who you talk to, whether you talk to Oregon State, Washington State, whether you talk to the top six from the Mountain West or whether you talk to the bottom six in the Mountain West, but something's got to get done at some point because Oregon State and Washington State's got to find find uh, I guess they can play each other six times or something home and home to get to 12 games because they're going to have to fill out a schedule at some point next year. Brett, uh, when it comes uh, going back to uh, Army for just a second, why would the Navy game be a non-conference if they're joining the conference? Because they ha- they get <laughs> like this put put me on a repeat. Because of money, okay. um, they get a they, he get a huge TV deal from CBS to play that game every the second Saturday in December every year. Gotcha. So you can't have that be a conference game when the conference championship game is the week before. So basically, Army and Navy will never play as conference members unless there's a, some kind of scenario where Army and Navy actually finish first and second in the American then they would play the first Saturday in December in the AAC championship game. And then the following week, they would play each other again, that sounds weird, in a non-conference game in their usual uh, time slot. So, <laughs> I, look, they're not going to ever finish first and second in the American. I think that's a pipe dream. They, I think they probably realize it too. Um, but that's, that game is such, such a big deal to them. That's why, um, you know, they've tried to, um, you know, get – get bowls to kind of make exceptions for them to, to accept them without playing that game, even though they're not quite, even though they don't get six wins. And, um, you know, there was a time a few years ago where there were people within college football were like, Hey, we're going to help put army and Navy to the screws and say, look, if you want to get into a bowl game, you've got to win six games. And if you don't like it, you're going to have to move this game. Well, yeah, I guess 
just how well that went when you try to go up against Army and Navy and they get politicians involved. So that's basically um, why, you know, Army and Navy will play a non-conference second Saturday in December. And, hey, I'm pulling for them. I'd love to see them have to play back-to-back seasons. And what if, you know, what if some bizarro world, um, you know, the winner of Army-Navy would get into the playoffs? then they would literally, they would have to play the first Saturday in the conference championship. They would have to play the next Saturday, Army-Navy non-conference game. Then they have to play the next week, the first week of playoffs. So mm. that would be quite a stretch. What do you think is happening? I'm sorry, go ahead, Paul. No, you go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, Brett, um, to the Pac-12 situation, or the Pac-2, is their best hope that they can get ruled that the Pac-12 is still the Pac-12 and everybody, no matter who's in it, and that because they agree, they agreed to that years ago, that they're still an automatic qualifier and hope that they have some kind of legal leg to stand on, or is that just a big shot in the dark? Well, they uh, and again, it's not, it's not the automatic qualifier because there are no automatic yeah. qualifiers. But it is the... It is the getting the revenue as a power league from the college football playoffs. You know, they have, they have no issue with if they're whatever conference makeup that it is. If they're not one of the top five conferences, then they would not get a automatic bid to the playoffs. So I don't think they're saying that they deserve an automatic bid no matter where they finish as a conference champ. And what they are fighting for is the money. And again, Sankey's been out front on this. Uh, I think Brett Yormark has talked about it as well. You know, look, it's it's not Oregon State and Washington State's fault. But nobody in their right mind can say a conference that lost 10 of their 12 members still deserves the same amount of revenue that you've had the previous nine years when you had 12 members. I mean, that's common sense. But common sense doesn't usually mean much in college football. So the lawyers are getting involved and fighting this out, and we'll have to see what happens. The other thing that makes this tricky, guys, is any changes to the revenue sharing and and all that minutia, it has to be unanimous in this 12-year deal. It has to be unanimous. So you're thinking right there, well, there's no way Oregon State or Washington State would approve any any kind of change. That's true. But if the other, if the Power Four tells them, okay, if you're going to, hold it hold it put the screws to us you know these last couple of years then by god when we go to the new format it's going to be worth even more money paybacks are a bitch so they'll never say that publicly but that's kind of what's in play there so that's why yeah i mean you guys ask great questions look you know me i tell you what i know i have no clue how this thing's going to end up and i don't think anybody I don't think anybody can honestly say they know 100% either. Everyone's just waiting for the dust to settle and for the lawyers to decide what's going to happen. What's going to happen? I mean, the Pac-12 is still, still going through, you know, are they are they a conference who can vote on the board? Who can, you know, all, you know, Klyovkov's, you know, being depositioned. And I, so, yeah, it's uh, fun times out west. And where it sucks is top 16 out of any league in the country. Pac-12 is better than anybody right now. Absolutely, but yeah. Nobody, cares, nobody looking at that because it's such a, such a, you know, you know what show out there. Yeah, it is. It's a dumpster fire in what you said. Show. Hey, Brett, thank you very much. There's always so many things we could talk about. Appreciate your access when we get it, and availability, and have a great week. 
Hey, you got it. I love that commercial playing before I came on, deep in the heart of Texas. Brought me back to my, my days covering high schools in Odessa, man. <laughs> you have to play that for me every time. Did you did you cover then the Permian-Odessa game, the, the great rivalry of the Midland Lee and all that? Come on. <laughs> You're killing me. Dude. Yep. This is how ancient I, this is how ancient I am. I covered those guys as sophomores. We got a job in Tampa. Buzz Bissinger came in the next year and did Friday Night Live. Oh, all my all my buddies give me give me grief. They say they go. I guarantee you, you were at some country bar drinking dollar cronies and said, "Hey, I got a great idea for a book. I call Friday Night Live. Oh, screw it. Give me another Corona." Somebody overheard me and stole my idea the next year. <laughs> oh my God. Well, you still are famous for what you do covering college football, my man. Thanks for your time, Brett. Have a great night. <laughs> Have a, give me another Corona. Well, look, uh, Odessa, no offense to Odessa, but we were out there. Maybe I'm just still a little bitter about our overall experience uh, last year, Smokey. You and I were out there. Uh, but Odessa to Tampa is a, is a nice upgrade. No, it, it's a great deal with all due respect to the Midland-Odessa area. It wasn't Odessa's fault that we had a plane uh, no, flight was, back to Dallas we, canceled. It we, was Southwest we, Airlines. I think you know what, Smokey. I think about that because I got caught up in it again at, at Christmas time. I think we were the first wave of that was where Southwest had a problem, and we just didn't know that. Well, then. we were too stupid to know it. <laughs> we we didn't. We, can we just had to get it. back here. Cost me a three hundred dollar <laughs> ticket in Milford, Texas. Uh, yes. Yeah. Or do you have anything to yeah, follow up? Yeah. Lincoln that? Riley update from Chris Trevino, who covers USC. Uh, he's being treated. For pneumonia, per a, a spokesperson, he was and has returned to practice uh, at USC after missing a couple of days. That's, that's good, uh, as much as it is to to say you can have good news when it's pneumonia. Um, yeah, that's obviously very rough, and that explains at least the absences here recently. It's just the timing of it all was so funny, and quite frankly, given his history and how he left in the middle of the dark against you, can you know, in, in Oklahoma, that, yeah. he doesn't deserve or get the benefit of the doubt, really, when things are kind of going weird, and there's always that leap to the NFL that he could make at any given moment. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's good to have some clarification, and uh, that certainly explains uh, the absence and – um, and all that that came with some of that speculation surrounding that. So yeah, good to good to have some clarity. Uh, meanwhile, there's a couple of games uh, tonight uh, for college football fans out there. And, and the reason why I'm mentioning this not only just as a reminder, but you got Jacksonville State at uh, FIU later on tonight. Jacksonville State six and two uh, on the road. Uh, FIU there four and four. But also, and that will start at uh, six. But then at seven, you've got uh, a battle of bleh. Uh, here in the state of Texas as the winless Sam Houston Bearcats play host to two and six, uh, two and six. Wow. That'd be more exciting actually than this <laughs> game. Probably two and six uh, UTEP. And the reason why I bring that up is not because I just big supporter of all the Texas programs, although it, I am, but apparently UTEP left its white road jerseys uh, back in El Paso accidentally, according to uh, a few reports and Colin Deaver as well. And so they were supposed to pack uh, uh, the home blue jerseys, uh, but or they so they ended up packing the home blue jerseys, and so they will be in blue, and Sam Houston will be wearing orange tonight. So you'll have blue versus orange in the battle, um, which will be interesting TV for, yeah. for eyeballs out there rather than what it was supposed to be. But why I even bring that up is because I just had a panic attack even thinking about the panic attack 
that the equipment manager must yeah. have had when you arrive at your destination and you're like, oh, my God, we packed the wrong jerseys. Like, I don't know how – I mean, I can understand brain farts and whatever, but, like, dude, the level What's, of panic and this uh, <gasps> that must have occurred. 75 guys probably you take on a trip out of the – you know, like the dress for road games, you know, take less. You know, not everybody dresses for the road games, but, yeah. And you know what it's going to look like? That's going to look like a commercial – like where you know, like somebody's like walking through a football field, going like oh, yeah. when when the I need a clo- yeah. yeah when I need a close shave, I right. go for yeah. Henneman's shaving cream, and like there's a, a you know like a generic football game yeah. in the background. No, yeah, I mean that, it's going to be a weird look, and yeah, that that does that does seem like it uh, will look awfully similar to some of those just very generic bland. Here's the not the Chicago Bears, but something that kind of looks like it. But yeah, the uh, yeah, so they'll be in orange uh, versus or the UTEP will be in blue. Sam Houston in orange. But man, would love to interview the equipment manager in charge of the the proper jerseys and when that was discovered and, and what that must have been like. Yeah, but that, there you go. That's college football. For it, you, you never. I'm surprised it hasn't happened more often. I think it happens probably a couple of times, three or four times a year when it comes to college basketball. I think Baylor one time where somebody didn't have the jerseys. But uh, yeah, that's that's unfortunate. But good news, Lincoln Riley. Bad news, he's gonna he's fighting pneumonia, which can be very very deadly. And the good news, he's back at practice, and maybe some of the speculation will stop at least for now. When we come back, Paul Catalina and his top five. Petty Clinic, LowT.com. Doctor Kent Petty can help you become the high performance man you want to be, need to be, used to be. One out of three to four men have symptomatic issues of low testosterone. And that might be you. Testosterone can affect, low testosterone can affect your sex drive. It could create ED. It could also be a problem when it comes to your focus, your energy, and even your sleep habits. Those are some of the symptoms. If you have any of those, it could be something completely different. But it could be your testosterone. So Dr. Kent Petty and his staff, Petty Clinic, LowT.com, top left-hand corner. There's a phone number. There's an email. Contact them. Tell them I sent you, and they will set you up to get your blood work, take care of that for you. They'll get the results. Then they'll be in touch with you if your testosterone level is too low, and they can increase it. Dr. Kent Petty, Petty Clinic, LowT.com. Be the man you want to be, need to be, used to be at Petty Clinic, LowT.com. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDI. See an equal housing lender. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. 
Nation's Brewing Company has 16 different beers on draft with a new beer every Friday. It also offers two air-conditioned tap rooms, a large indoor beer hall, a second-floor mezzanine offering a great overview of the brewing company and equipment and patio where you can relax under the shade. Plus, you can now experience the new Three Nations Beer Garden Grill on our shaded patio. Grab a cold beer and enjoy a bite from our freshly prepared and delicious menu. Street tacos, quesadillas, freshly cooked burgers and dogs, and veggie burgers too. Nachos and so much more all prepared and cooked on site. So come visit the award-winning Three Nations Brewing Company on East Vandergrift off I-35 in Carrollton. I hate my job, but I don't mind getting up in the morning. I dread each day, but I can't wait to get out of bed. You ask me why, and what I'll say to you is true. Well, you can get breakfast tacos at Rudy's Barbecue. Scrambled eggs and brisket, they ain't fooling around. Salsa draft, son, they're the best in town. Barbecue for breakfast, yes, it's true. Put a smile on your morning at Rudy's Barbecue. Time for Paul Catalina's Top 5. Brought to you by Texas Beef House. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. Top 5 upset alerts for week 9. I did not get to do this one yesterday, so we we held it because I had to go um, be a good husband. Uh, But... Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're gonna meet after the show. Yeah, now that. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, number five, and this was tough to do upset alerts this week. BYU against Texas. They're on the road. Uh, the only reason I put this on the list is Texas has Malik Murphy starting, and if BYU can somehow get in his dome, then that's an upset chance for them. I do not think they can stop the run enough. Um, with Jonathan Brooks being part of this, it makes the soft landing uh, so much softer for Malik Murphy as he's stepping into an offense that's already got studs all over it. And so I don't know if BYU can stop him, but if they can somehow get Malik Murphy's head, then maybe this is an upset alert. And these will get you know progressively better as they go along. But this is a, a rough week to call upsets on. As a matter of fact, I would think most of the upsets you're going to see are going to be more like North Carolina or Virginia over North Carolina last week where no one would see it coming. Yeah, that was that was incredibly surprising to see uh, the Cavs get that win. But, uh, man, that's just um, – we never really talked in depth about that. But that's just Mac Brown, right? Like just yeah. uh, dropping a game like that when things are going so well. I know he's, he's won a big title before. But, uh, man, he could have had so many more if not for games like that uh, happening on a regular basis. But – uh, yeah, you know, BYU had a, a great win last week over Texas Tech. Obviously, a lot of turnovers played into that. But it didn't do a whole lot to change my mind that, um, you know, they're okay on defense uh, to, to good at times. And I'm just still not a fan of, of what they can do offensively uh, with regularity. So uh, I have a hard time seeing how they're going to run the football. And I don't love the idea of Keaton Slovis having to sling it around to get you to, to win a game, right? Much less... That's just the offensive side of it. Oh, yeah, then what do you do on defense? But I think you're right. Like, defense is where you probably 
can win this game uh, because of the quarterback situation so long as you do force him into some mistakes and or he makes some mistakes and you're able to capitalize on those. Um, yeah, I mean, this one, it didn't change my feel for it. Like, I just, I just banked on Texas winning this game, so the quarterback change didn't change my mind really in the, the slightest. I think Texas is still 17.5-point favorites in this game, and I do think that they'll win. Um, but the Malik Murphy wild card here and just the unknown about him uh, does make it interesting because, yeah, there could be those first start jitters and, you know, the things just kind of slide sideways, and it's one of those Saturdays. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a possibility. Yeah, you, you, 17 and a half points, they're so explosive. Uh, and you wonder what it would be if Malik Murphy wasn't starting the quarterback. And I think he's a, he's a fantastic uh, uh, young prospect. And, 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 and in many regards, Malik Murphy's ad- auditioning for a lot of different things. He's auditioning to be the starting quarterback when Quinn Ewers leaves over Arch Manning. And if he's – not if that's not going to be the case. If Arch Manning eventually beats him out, then he was auditioning to be the starting quarterback somewhere else. So yeah, he's uh, getting NIL offers yeah, based so, on his audition. Yeah. yeah, and then you'll get the argument. Well, no, this is all a plan in place. Everybody has a price, even though at Texas they can pretty much meet most of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's just fans. Be, I mean, that's also playing time issue. Yeah, as much that's as that's a lot else. of different things. But point being, if he plays well, there will be, and even if he doesn't, there will be people who are in his DMs already because quarterbacks are such a, a craving for for teams out there that yeah, he's going to be a guy that if he goes out and performs, whatever he's already probably been talked to about or people have inferred could skyrocket in a major way. Yeah, yeah. number four, Utah versus Oregon. Uh, this one. Again, really, uh, the only reason it's an upset is that, um, you know, Utah doesn't have Bo Nix, but uh, it would not surprise me and shouldn't Cam surprise Rising. anybody. What? You mean Cam Rising? No, I mean, like, Bo Nix is the difference in this game to me. And oh, that, Utah like, doesn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, saying. like, Bo yeah. Nix is the difference in this game to me in that um, Utah, very well, if they had a, a, you know, if Cam Rising was playing, I wouldn't even have put this game on the list at all. But, you know, uh, Barnes is going to have to go in there and and create some magic again, and he's not going to be going against a defense that is a turnstile like USC's is. But it is Utah, and they've managed to do weird stuff all year. So let's see it again. Let's get weird, Utah. Yeah, I mean, if there's a team, I'm not going to put it past them to win uh, a game where they're they're not favored. It's it's Utah. Uh, I think that that program's just so tremendous that. Um, you know, you give them a chance anytime they go out there. Uh, they're less than touchdown dogs. So what does that tell you? And at home, um, there's also that element to this as well. So, yeah, there is definitely some ingredients involved here. Just the, the performance last week and the big win and uh, all the confidence in Bryson Barnes now. Uh, something's going to have to give against these defenses as far as the running game goes, unless it's just going to be a shootout with a bunch of big plays, which I guess is possible. But uh, both these teams going up against defenses that are pretty stingy um, against the run. And in Utah's case, that's been a little bit of a bugaboo for them is, is trying to get that going. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's Utah. Uh, so gloves off and, and, yeah, certainly a possibility they could pull the, uh, the upset here. Number three. Colorado versus UCLA. Um, look, UCLA has is, is played better than Colorado the, the whole of the season, really. Uh, but Colorado has still got Shadur Sanders. They still can score a bunch. Uh, they're going to be a problem for any defense that they play. And while UCLA's defense is pretty good, um, you know, Colorado's just going to be a problem. Now, if they're the Colorado we've seen after the first three weeks, then, 
yeah, I mean, UCLA is probably going to win this game. But, again, I don't put anything past this Buffalo team and with the amount of points that they can score if they if they get on a heater. Yeah, I mean, they've had time to prepare, right? Uh, they've had a, a what seems like a long break. It's yeah. only been a weekend. It seems like they've been playing like a the, month, I guess, yeah, because they've Friday game. Yeah, but because we just heard so much about them, though, that like they haven't played, and so it's just like, oh yeah, the Colorado. That that's that's a story still. Um, yeah, I'm very intrigued by how they play. Um, UCLA had great success with the quarterback change. You know, Dante Moore is a good young prospect, but they decided that just too many mistakes, and they go with Garbers, and that worked out well for them last week. So, um, you know, that'll be. Um, obviously a big part of this is that quarterback battle, Garbers versus Shador, and who can have the uh, the better game. But uh, UCLA is a, a good team, man, and I think that uh, they're you know the favorites for uh, a reason here. But Colorado, they have enough playmakers, and we've seen them, how they can score points. You know, the defense is obviously eh, but uh, they can score enough uh, most of the time. Now, can they score on this UCLA defense at will like they have against some others? That'll be the, the big curious part of this, but – um, they got to be able to get stops on defense themselves, and that's been a, a big issue for them. You wonder how much they've been able to tighten things up with yeah. the week off and how much they could change in a week, but uh, perhaps they get enough done. What's hey. the line on that game? Do you all know off the top of your I'm head? I'm going to guess it's 13. Let me see here. I'm just going to guess. It's higher than UCLA I thought. UCLA with 17-point favorites. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. So, and by a- the way, that, that's in, that's one of the games in our pick them. That's the TexasBeefHouse.com pick them. That's uh, one of the games in, in uh, that group. Number two, Georgia versus Florida, the cocktail party uh, in Jacksonville. And the only reason I say this is that if you watch the Gators and what they've done this year, you heard Chuck Cooperstein talk about it earlier in the week on the show, that on the field he's not thrilled with the the product that Billy Napier has put out there. But I do think that Billy Napier, um, you know, and he's trying to, like you say, he's probably trying to do too much. But... If you look at their offense, it is like to call it vanilla um, would be a compliment, but that's what they kind of have to do because they have two really good playmakers in Ricky Pearsall and and Trevor Atien. But uh, Graham Mertz is uh, a bus driver, and and he's not Keanu Reeves or Sandra Bullock driving the bus. He is a school bus driver, and they've done well with that. Uh, defensively, they're they're pretty solid, but again, there's nothing like about you know most of their defense. It's going to be like, holy crap! Look who's coming around the edge. Like there will be on Georgia, but this is a huge rivalry game. Um, he'll have them playing, I think, within themselves pretty well, and. That me and Georgia's just—they've played fast and loose with things. And Brock Bowers not going to be there for another week. Could make this interesting. I don't think it'll happen. Georgia's a massive favorite, but you know, uh, crazier things have happened. And when it comes to huge rivalry games like this, yeah, I mean it's a it's a, a long-standing rivalry, so those things can always get kind of wonky. Uh, even though Georgia's shown a little bit of uh, flaws here and there. It's still just like they just keep on moving on, right? It's like when when is that day going to come where they finally drop a game because they're on they're on a hell of a run right now. Um, but yeah, I mean this is is one to definitely pay attention to. One of the bigger games of the entire weekend and just some bad blood here. So you know Billy Napier's got some good things going on. Is it enough in the end? Uh, obviously, most people don't think so. That's why Georgia's still you know over two touchdown favorites. But yeah, who the heck knows, man? It could get it could get wild out in Jacksonville, Florida for the uh, world's largest cocktail party. So sure. Yeah, absolutely. And number one, Oregon State versus Arizona. If you're playing Noah Fafita and this Wildcat team, you're on upset alert because he can get hot. 
Um, they have turned around. Jed Fish uh, really has found his, it uh, looks like he's starting to find his sea legs there uh, as they get ready to come into the Big 12. They're, you know, they're going to get somebody else, and Oregon State standing in their way this week as well as they've played. But if I'm if I'm Oregon State, I am absolutely on the highest of alerts for an upset this week because Arizona's been playing really well. Yeah, they've been much better. Um, moving on from Jaden Delora, Fafita's given them something there um, at the quarterback spot. Um, you know, Oregon State's just so stingy on defense, um, and you know that has been. Uh, part of their calling card. Uh, I'd still like Oregon State, but yeah, Arizona's been feisty enough that you got to pay attention. And the way they just whooped on Washington State was um, was surprising. I mean, just how lopsided that game was. So big opportunity for Jed Fish. I mean, a top ten-ish type of a win would be absolutely massive for that program. Uh, you're at home, um, so that's part of I think Oregon State's identity too. Is when they're at home, especially, it's just like man, it's yeah. it's like almost impossible, right? Or it feels that way. So yeah, the fact that this game's in Tucson. Um, we gonna talk to uh to our buddy Jason. Have you reached out to him at all? Yeah, no. We're about I, due to talk Arizona, I think. But yeah, uh, no, if he can't help us with realignment, screw him. <laughs> no, that's a, yeah, Paul, you I brought that up in a text. More, he did help for a good long while. I think there. he ended up being the guy that made it all happen. Yeah, but, yeah exactly. Be, if we can drop, if there's an opening tomorrow, that's a great. That's a great get. I'll try to talk to him. Yeah, no, it's just been a, a long time since we spoke, and I, they still got. Let's see, UCLA coming up, Colorado, Utah. So there's some other games out there for, for them as well. And then Arizona State at the end of the year. But, yeah, um, like what, what Jed Fish has going on, like what Oregon State's got going on a lot more. But, yeah, they definitely need to have their, their antennas up uh, against these Wildcats. I love the stories. Of, we, we knew Oregon State would be good. Uh, I love the stories when some teams, like, come out of nowhere. Uh, that's one right there, that they are now a problem. And, and yeah. it'll be fun to see how they finish if they can sustain that. A couple of college basketball notes to close it out. Um, despite Bob Higgins, uh, Bob Huggins, excuse me, resigning and leaving West Virginia, uh, the Mountaineers, thanks to Joey for sending him in this, uh, found and got the commitment from five-star recruit Cooper Flagg over Duke and UConn. So it's a huge deal for West Virginia men's basketball. Craig brought up earlier the commitment of the young man out of Missouri, um, I just went blank on his name. Ryan Wingo. Ryan Wingo, a five-star stud that committed to Texas, and they flipped that around lately. Uh, it's a huge deal for Steve Sarkeesian. And Jalen Bridges has been named to the 2024 Julius Irving Award Watch list uh, from the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. All right? Thank you, Garrett. Appreciate what you do. Jack McKenzie, Emery Winters working on 365 Sports tonight. Every weeknight at 10.30 on the CW. And uh, for Craig Smoke and Paul Catalina, our great sponsors every day. Thank you for being here every day. Have a great night. This is 365 Sports. MRI is a small family business right here in Central Texas. We're open to support you while lowering the cost of health care.